For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.
radio network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
front yard. <laughs> I gotta have a mind to paint a plywood sign and nail it up on a knotted pine tree. Saying I was here first, this is my piece of dirt and your rambling don't rattle me. Good afternoon, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Wednesday, February 24th, 2016, and it is about eight minutes after noon Pacific time. If that's when it is where you're at, we are, in fact, live. You can call in toll-free, 800-932-1980, 800-932-1980. You can also Chatted up in our chat room, which is located at uh, our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You'll see the chat link over on the left-hand side. And uh, click it and go on in there. You can also contact me directly through Yahoo Instant Messenger, AVRN Talk is my screen name, and when you're on the website, you'll see all the other things you need to know. The 
archives, the store, the email is there. It's all there. So you just look around on there, and you'll find whatever it is you need to know about this network. All right, so like I say, it's Wednesday, and I guess we'll start with the fluff, okay? Because that's really what it is, is fluff. And I'm talking about the primaries. Yeah, it's fluff news. It's easy. It's kind of fun. It's entertaining. It's all that. It's fluff is really what it comes to. Now, keep in mind this news story <laughs> uh, versus the news stories that I'm going to cover after this. And you'll see why this, which everybody thinks is so very important, is really nothing much more than fluff. Okay? But, hey, every radio broadcast has to have a little fluff, right? A little entertainment. It can't just all be bad news, duck and cover, get under your table, dig a hole and get in it. Sort of stories? Oh, but we got them. All right, so the Nevada caucuses. Now they say, you know, here's what's funny, though. I'm on a page that has the Nevada presidential caucuses, and they have they have the Democrat and the Republican. The Republican just happened last night. Uh, the uh, Democratic one happened last week. And uh, the Democratic Nevada presidential caucuses have... 98.5% of the precincts reporting. So I guess, you know, 1.5% of the precincts just aren't going to turn in their votes, huh? I mean, maybe they were for, Bar you know, Barry Sanders, uh, Bernie Sanders, and, uh, you know, nah, we're just not going to do that because... Now, li I, listen to this now. Remember Iowa. Hillary Clinton won basically Iowa by six coin tosses that her people just... Luckily, one in a row, six in a row. Wow. It was that close. There was like half a percentage point between them, you know, or less. It was a tie. That's why they flipped coins in six different districts. But so we'll call that, we'll call Iowa a tie because that's really what it was. And then New Hampshire, Bernie Sanders crushed Hillary Clinton by 20 percentage points at least. Okay, so then we go to Nevada, and uh, Hillary Clinton wins Nevada 52.6% to 47.3%. Now, to me, that's right around 5% different, okay? So in the three primaries that we're looking at here, Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada, to me, it looks like Bernie Sanders is you know, he's gotten 15% more. But at the very at the very least, let's call it a tie. They tied in Iowa. Bernie Sanders won New Hampshire. She won Nevada. That sounds kind of like a tie. So how in a tie does Hillary Clinton end up with 500 delegates and Bernie Sanders ends up with 70? How does that happen, folks? Is that honest? Is that the is that even democracy? That's not democracy. That's the Politburo deciding who's going to be, you know, the nominee. But now we go over to the Republican side, which is, you know, much more full. All right, let's see here. Uh, in Nevada, Rick Santorum got 11 votes. So, you know, I got to think he's going to be kind of 
leaving the stage here pretty soon. Huckabee got 21 votes. This is out of the whole, you know, the whole caucus primary election deal they got going on in Nevada. Uh, for Forina got 22 votes. Chris Christie got a whole 50 votes. Jeb Bush, who's already dropped out of the race, got 64 votes. I mean, these are people getting votes that, you know, aren't even in the race anymore, some of them. And then we have uh, Rand Paul. He got 170 votes. Is he still running? Kasich. Now we'll get into the big numbers. He got 2,700 votes, or 3.6%. Ben Carson got 4.8%. Ted Cruz got 21.4%. Marco Rubio got 23.9%. And that was the real race, Cruz against Rubio. And, of course, Donald Trump got 45.9%, which we have discussed this before people, okay, Donald Trump, why that sounds great, I mean, oh, what, 22, 23% margin of victory, that's a landslide, that's crushing your opponent, however, he only ended up with 45.9%, that's under 50 that's not going to work for Donald Trump. He start he needs to start getting more than 50% of the vote or at least 50% or he will not win the delegate race because the Republicans got rules that oh yeah, you can win every primary in every state, but if you win them by less than 50%, the they can the committee, the Senate Politburo can monkey it around and give the nomination to whoever the hell they please. This is why Rick Santorum, Huckabee, Farina, Christie, Bush, Paul, Kasich, Carson are all still on the ballot. Okay? This is why they're all still on the ballot. Because Carson, Kasich, Paul, all those right there you add their percentages up, and you put them in the Trump side, he'd be over 50%, and that's what he's going to need. That Now, he might not understand it. I didn't understand it until I looked it up and spent about two hours reading through the Republican Party's crap about how, oh, here's the rules. They call it rules. It's not rules. What it is is here's, how, here's our back door we've left in here for the chieftains of the Republican Party to actually subvert democracy and pick who we want if we don't like who the people picked. That's what the Republican rules really are, and apparently so are the Democratic rules, where their delegates are already with Hillary Clinton. They don't even wait to the convention, okay? They just do it now. Eh, just let's pick who we want now. Let the stupid sheeple go out there and vote if they want, but we've already decided. Man, oh man, oh man. Speaking of Hillary, now we're going to kind of cruise slowly out of the fluff zone, because this is kind of fluff too, but it's, it's getting closer to real news, but uh, we're not there yet. Attorney General 
Loretta Lynch mob decided, oh, declined Wednesday to discuss how she would make a decision about whether to prosecute Democratic presidential candidate and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton over classified information found on her private email server. However, Lynch did say the investigation and the Justice Department's review of the matter would follow the usual process and procedure for such matters. Well, hey, I'm sure Eric Snowden is very happy about all this, because if this is the way that's usual process and procedure, well, he ought to be skating, because he didn't do anything worse than her. As a matter of fact, he did things better than her. He actually allowed the American people to see what the hell their government was doing. Now, I don't know who Snowden works for, and I don't care. All I know is what he did. Okay, everybody knew the NSA was spying on everybody, all right? Everybody already knew that. That was out in the news, and everybody believed it, but nobody had any real hard proof. Snowden's releases provided that proof. That's all, and I don't care who he works for. I don't care what his agenda was, what his motivations were. I don't care. He confirmed what we already knew. He didn't give us anything new. Oh, my gosh, what a revelation. The NSA is spying on everybody. What do you think they're there for? That's what their job is, for crying out loud. That's why they were created. Okay, so now we have proof. And he has to live in a foreign country so the United States government doesn't put him in prison. And this usurper, this traitor, this treasonous wench, Hillary Clinton, is running free? And the lynch mob is saying, well, we're going to follow the usual process and procedure. Really? How come she doesn't have to leave the country? How come she's not Eric Snowden's next-door neighbor in Russia? Huh? If this is all normal and usual, how come she doesn't have to leave the country? This will be conducted as every other case. Really? And we will review all the facts and all the evidence and come to an independent conclusion as to how to best handle it. Hmm, how to best handle it. Let's see. She's committed 100 felonies, jeopardized national security, mishandled top-secret documents. Gee, golly, should we also go into the, uh, you know... The content of her emails about Benghazi? How about we start looking at some of the uh, weapons sales? How about we start looking at some of the contributions from foreign governments and decisions Hillary Clinton flip-flapped on after she got paid? Why don't we start looking at some of that, too? No, 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 no. We're just going to look at the, uh, oh, the hundred felonies. Representative John Carter from Texas told Lynch that some of his constituents wanted him to raise the issue with her because they were concerned that the probe might be tainted by politics. No. If the FBI makes the case that Hillary Clinton mishandled classified information and put America's security at risk, will you prosecute the case? Do you know of any efforts underway to undermine the FBI investigation, Carter asked. Lynch didn't say anything new about the inquiry except to confirm that she has yet to receive any request from her staff to act one way or another on the case. With respect to our investigation into how information was handled by the State Department, 
how they handle classified information. And I'm sure you know that the matter is being handled by career independent law enforcement agents, FBI agents, as well as the career independent attorneys in the Department of Justice. Are we supposed to be enthused to hear about career independent attorneys? Really? At the Justice Department, for one thing, if you're an attorney, you're not independent, okay? You're an officer of the court. The court, you know, the government court, if you're an attorney for the, for the Department of Justice, you're an attorney for the government, obligated to the government, hmm, and let's see. One of your own is up here for basically treason. Uh, what are you going to do? Mm, oh, the usual and normal investigation. Sure, folks. Why don't you go crack on into the State Department's uh, servers and download all their stuff onto your servers. See what happens to you. You'll be sitting in a jail cell really, really fast. They lie straight to our face and act as though the way they're treating Hillary Clinton is the way they would treat anybody, which is BS, and everybody out there knows it. Lynch said concerns about improper pressure on prosecutors or agents were unfounded, at least to her knowledge. I know nothing. You know, these characters we saw on TV that were meant to be, you know, a joke, like Sergeant Schultz, who always knew nothing. We used to laugh at that. Now we have him working as the attorney general. Isn't that great? It's unclear what pressure Carter may have been alluding to, but after President Barack Obama commented last fall that he saw no evidence that the email situated situation endangered national security. Some FBI agents said the president's comments were inappropriate because they appeared to pre predict the outcome of an ongoing investigation. The FBI's been looking into Clinton's email setup since last summer. Last summer. Hey, we're rolling back into summer again. That's a one year? It takes you one year? Come on! What is that? Would it take them one year to put you in jail? I don't think so, folks. This is not usual. This is not normal. Hillary Clinton is clearly being protected by the Democratic administration and Loretta Lynch mob. Okay? You know, it's really coming to the point where this federal government is so out of control, so lawless, that, you know, really they have lost all authority to expect anything but the same from the American people. And, you know, hey, as long as the TV works and as long as the food's being delivered and as long as there's any jobs at all, the American people will try to make do. But when that becomes impossible, there's going to be a bloodbath in this country. And you all better be prepared for it. And I don't mean just get guns and food and, you know, get prepared for a fight. Get prepared to die. Okay? If you don't know Jesus Christ yet, you better get to knowing him. Okay? Because, you know, there's a real good possibility that a lot of us ain't going to make it through this. And that's okay, man. 
Everybody dies. You got an advantage going into something that you know, well, hey, I'm going into a meat grinder here, and chances are I'm not coming out. So, uh, hmm, I'm probably going to die, and I now have an opportunity to get things straight with God. I'm serious, folks. You've got to get your mind right as long, uh, along with your equipment. Obviously, you've got to have guns and ammunition and, you know, gasoline and everything else that you might need to defend yourself, to defend your family, to defend your property, to defend your rights. Because your rights are your property, granted to you by God. And here comes the bully government thinking they're going to take it away from you. Uh-huh. And I got bad news for you atheists out there. I, I really, you know, I'm not angry at atheists. I feel so, I, I feel really sorry for them. I really, really do. And they can sit there and point at Christians' flaws all day long, and there's no doubt we all have lots of flaws to point at. But it ain't about me. See, I didn't do anything to be saved. Neither did anybody else who got saved. They might think, well, I'm, I'm saved because I'm a good person, and I give lots of money to the poor, and I uh, do this, and I do that, and I, 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 it doesn't matter. If you are saved, you didn't do a thing to get saved except accept a gift. And you haven't earned it at all. You don't deserve it at all. Neither do I. But, you know, there's that comfort. And that was always the thing in the United States. You wonder why in World War II the United States military did so well? You wonder why, you know, that American troops have always been, well, probably at least among the best in the world. And not just because of training and equipment, but because they fought 100%. And they did what was right. They did what was necessary because they knew, hey, I'm doing what's right. Everybody dies. And I believe we used to be a nation, a Christian nation. You know, in Christians, nobody wants to die, but everybody's going to die. And if you have this thing, you know, this faith that, hey, when I die, I'm going to a better place. It's a lot easier to stand up for what's right and say, hey, you know what, I'll take whatever shots are coming my way, and I'll die if I have to, but I'm not letting your evil, evil stand. That's not so much our country anymore, is it? I mean, is it? Does it seem like it is? It doesn't to me, but, you know, we have real problems in this country, and I don't know how it's going to end up, but we've got trouble coming, big, big, bad trouble coming. And you need food, you need water, you need guns, you need ammo, you need everything you need to defend yourself and to survive. But you also got to get your mind right. you got to get your heart right. 
you got to get the Lord and get them now before it's too late. Because it's coming our way, and, you know, you can you can blow me off if you want. And that's okay with me. I don't care. A lot of people blow me off all the time. I've been being blown off for decades now, okay? I've been called crazy, tinfoil, hat-wearing, lunatic, delusional, blah, 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 on and on and on for so long, I can barely remember being called anything else. And yeah, more and more people are starting to see there's a problem in America, but less and less people are starting to realize they need the Lord. Because, folks, you know what? It, it's, it, all the guns and ammo and food and water and all that crap ain't going to do you any good. It's not going to do you any good if you ain't right with God. You know, and that doesn't mean all of a sudden tomorrow you're perfect and, oh, now you're, you know, I've heard people tell me, well, I'm sinless. You are? How'd that happen? Because I read in the Bible, we're all sinners. Well, not me, because I'm saved. Uh, huh? Huh? People make up all kinds of things to make them feel better, but you know what? Bottom line is, doesn't matter about it. Ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's about God. That's the thing we need to start realizing, and that's the part that's difficult for everybody. I think this is why everybody's turning away. Hey, yeah, we could say, well, you know, it's money. Everybody's chasing money. Money's the root of all evil. God doesn't like money, and everybody loves money more than God. And that might be true. But the bottom line, I think it's more pride. People don't want to believe that there's anything more than them. I decide. I do this. I, me, 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 I, I, I. Well, hey, as far as that goes, you have free will. I have free will. You can do what you want, but it ain't all about you. But, hey. People can believe what they want. It'll all, it'll all wash out in the end for uh, certain. You can believe that. Because, I don't know, if there's somebody out there that figures, well, you're all dying, but not me. Oh, no, no. No, that's something you're all doing. Not, I'm not doing that. I've decided I'm not doing that. Well, we'll see how that works out. Anyhow. Oh, it's time to take a break. So we'll do that, and we'll be back in just a bit.
realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Rolling, Saturday night, take eight. Here we go. One, two, three, four. Another Saturday night that I ain't got nobody. I got some money cause I just got paid. Now how I wish I had someone to talk to. I'm in an awful way. Let me tell you about it. Look at here. I got in town a month ago. I've seen a lot of girls since then. If I could meet them, I could get them. But as yet. That's why I'm in the shape I'm in Here another Saturday night That I ain't got nobody I got some money cause I just got paid Now how I wish I had someone to talk to I'm in an awful way Now, another fella told me He had a sister who looked just fine 
This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's Wednesday, February 24, 2016. And it's about 1230, nah, about 1240 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. All right, let's uh, just jump right back into some things. Here's uh, what Obama, this arrogant son of a, and I mean that literally, uh, he says, here's the headline, Obama confident sheepest, sheepish Senate will back down on SCOTUS pick. Meaning, oh, they'll just give me what I want because they're a bunch of pussies. Bunch of old pussy white man. They'll give him what he wants. Yeah? Obama predicted Wednesday that sheepish Senate Republicans will retreat under public pressure from their pledge to block his nominee for the Supreme Court, and said lawmakers would damage the federal judiciary if they don't back down. Speaking to reporters in the Oval Office, Mr. Obama said Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and other Republicans don't seem fully committed to their vow not to hold any hearings on the president's eventual nominee to replace the late Justice Scalia. I don't expect Mitch McConnell to say that, is the case today, Mr. Obama said, adding that he has spoken to several of the Republican senators. There's not a lot of vigor when they defend the position they're taking. They're pretty sheepish about it. He added, I get the politics of it. If I'm sure they are under enormous pressure from their base and their constituents around this issue. You know, uh, let's see here. Uh, what is uh, what is the commander and thief saying? He's saying the American people do not want him to get another Supreme Court justice. We're in the middle of an election cycle, and his time is over. So you know what? The next president gets to pick. That's what the people want. But he's saying that that, that doesn't matter. I should get what I want because I know better than the American people. 
Mr. Obama brushed aside comments made by Vice President Joseph Biden when he was Senate Judiciary Chairman in 1992 that a president shouldn't nominate a Supreme Court candidate in an election year. First of all, we know senators say stuff all the time, Mr. Obama said. Second of all, what? They say stuff all the time. So just ignore their asses. You know what? I agree. I think we should ignore the whole federal government. Because you know what? They say stuff all the time, too. And sometimes they even write that stuff down. And we should just throw it all in the trash can and say, you know what? We don't care what you say because you say stuff all the time. So we're just brushing you off. Second of all, these were comments in 1992 where there was no actual nomination. That's not the same. It's not the same. Biden said presidents shouldn't nominate Supreme Court candidates in election years. This is an election year. He wants to nominate a Supreme Court justice. His vice president disagrees with him. Unless, of course, he has, uh, what, what did Obama do when he lied to the American people and told everybody in order to get elected that he supports one man, one woman marriages? Yeah. And then the minute he gets elected, what does he do? Oh, I've, my, my position has evolved. That's their new way of saying that was a campaign promise, which you all should know is a lie. It has no application to the actual situation that we have right now. Obama is a straight-up liar. Okay? He's a liar. Uh, This is amazing what a liar he is and, and how the media just gives him a complete pass on everything. Now, here's the... Headline, the dying media equates questioning causes of Scalia's death to being a conspiracy theorist. Sure, you know, hey, guy found with a pillow over his head, and then the story changes five times, and he doesn't have a security detail with him. He's at a Texas ranch that he's never been to before that just happens to be owned by a huge Obama donator. Yeah, and he ends up dead, uh, and they declare him that way, uh, natural causes, over the phone, by a judge. Yeah, who would have any questions about that? I mean, if he was some junkie found on the gutter or something, maybe then nobody would have any questions. But this is a Supreme Court justice. A Supreme Court justice that Obama clearly hated. He wouldn't even show his stinking lion face at his funeral. A United States Supreme Court justice died in unclear circumstances over the weekend, and no one in the dying mainstream media has been willing to question why Justice Anton Scalia's death was not personally verified by the head of the court of Presidio County, Texas. Cinderella Guevara. No one in the mainstream media is asking why Ms. Guevara decided not to request an autopsy, as is commonly done, especially when it comes to the death 
of a Supreme Court justice. No one in the mainstream media is asking why Scalia's body was quickly prepared for burial, which effectively erased any and all proof of foul play. No one in the mainstream media is asking why, where were Scalia's body fluids discarded without any previous scientific analysis. The traditional media not only does not do its job, but it also labels those who demand answers regarding the circumstances that surrounded Scalia's death as conspiracy theorists. But the dying media outlets are not alone. Even so-called traditional conservative figures such as cranky talk show host and liar Mark Levin has labeled people who ask questions about Scalia's death as kooks. Are you seeing Mark Levin yet, you morons, for what he is? And I'm talking to people who think Mark Levin is the says-all and does-all. Well, Mark Levin said, well, Mark Levin said, well, Mark Levin said. Yeah, Mark Levin also backs Ted Cruz. Oh, but gee, I wonder why. Could it be because his fiance's son is a full-time paid Campaign worker for Cruz? Yeah, I, that would. Yeah, and he didn't bother to mention that to anybody until he got caught. But you're a kook if you ask that, according to him. In defiance of logic, evidence, and reason, the media's talking point goes something like this the, com- the conspiracy theorists are in full swing. Oh, really? Okay, but they don't explain that the circumstances that surround Scalia's death are actually mysterious, to say the least. Cinderella Guevara, head of the court of Presidio County, Texas, ruled that the death had been caused by natural causes without seeing the body. She came to this conclusion after talking to the sheriff on the phone. What medical training does the sheriff have, exactly? She considered it unnecessary to conduct an autopsy, saying that when Scalia was found dead on his bed, he was in complete rest. She repeated this line after the owner of the resort where Scalia was spending the weekend, John Poindexter, publicly stated that he had found Scalia on his bed with a pillow over his face. Later, Mr. Poindexter changed his mind and said he had found Scalia in complete rest. Poindexter is the owner of Chibolo Creek Ranch, Marfa, Texas, where Scalia had been resting without any security detail. The justice, who was about to turn 80, spent the last hours of his life enjoying a weekend of hunting surrounded by 35 people who admired him, Poindexter said. Yeah, I bet they admired him. I bet there were a lot of conservatives there at Mr. Poindexter's I donate lots of money to Barack Obama. Uh Uh-huh. So this goes on and on. We're just kooks, even according to some of your hero, Mark Levin. Gee, uh, I hate to point out the obvious, but Mark Levin is nothing but a Zionist Jew towing water for the people in charge, just like the rest of the media. Who do you think? I mean, this has been, you know... Look, people have read the lists on the radio, on the on the YouTube, all over the place. Okay? Jews make up about 3% of the population in the United States, yet they control media, they control banking, and they're infested in the government. 
How does that happen for 3% of the population? Now, we look at banking, we look at media, we look at government. Do they seem to be working good for you? Do they seem to be working for the majority of people's interests in the United States? See, I don't care about the rest of the world. I don't care about what's going on anywhere else. These globalist pieces of garbage need to shut the hell up and go live somewhere else if they're concerned with global this and global that. We got bigger problems, though. Not really bigger, but as big. Because, you see, the thing is, if your brain is all shrunk up and deformed, none of this really matters to you, right? Well, that's what's happening to your children. Here's the, this is what Wi-Fi, cell phones, iPads, and more are doing to your child's brain. Yeah, whoa. This article only represents a small fraction of the research regarding the dangers associated with these devices. We encourage you to further, you know, do your own research, of course. Uh, let's see. Dr. Martin Blank, Ph.D. from the Department of Physiology and Cellular Biophysics at Columbia University, has joined a group of scientists from around the world who are making an international appeal to the United Nations regarding the dangers associated with the use of various electromagnetic-emitting devices like cell phones and Wi-Fi. Yeah, but, you know, Dr. Martin Blank, he's only a Ph.D., and he's only in the Department of Physiology and Cellular Biophysics. What the hell could he know about cell phones and electromagnetics? Come on, who's going to listen to this guy? He must be a kook, right? Conspiracy theorist kook, maybe? Yeah, there you go. Multiple studies have revealed that cell phone radiation can cause cancer. Did you know that the International Agency for Research on Cancer classified radio frequency fields, including those from cell phones, as a possible carcinogenic way back in 2011? The dangers of cell phone use gained a lot of mainstream credibility in 2011 when the World Health Organization admitted that the cell phone radiation may cause cancer. The statement was based off an cumulative decision made by a team of 31 scientists from 14 different countries after reviewing evidence that suggested this to be the case. It's pretty startling news, isn't it? Especially given the fact that a child's brain absorbs much more radiation than that of an adult. And this is why in the European Union, if you're under 16, you're not allowed to have a cell phone there. Yeah, here they're giving six- and seven-year-olds cell phones. Oh, yeah, off to kindergarten with you now. You keep your little cell phone, so in case you have to call mommy and cry a little bit, you can because we don't want to hurt your self-esteem or anything. Oh, and that little tumor growing in your head, don't worry about that. That'll go away by the time you're 10, you know, when you're dead. Below, uh, they, they have a video, and... Uh, the video is obviously longer, but here this goes on. A cell phone is a two-way microwave radio, Dr. Davis pointed out. Industry has fought successfully to use the phrase radio frequency energy instead of microwave microwave radiation because they know radio frequency energy sounds fine. We listen to music with radios. Everybody needs more energy. What could be better than that? 
But radio frequency energy is another word for microwave radiation. If people understood that, they were holding a two-wave microwave radiating device next to their brain or next to their genitals, they might think differently about it. Hmm. Well, this goes on and on. Some advice. Don't let your child use a cell phone. Keep your cell phone used to a minimum. Reduce or eliminate your use of other wireless devices. And, of course, um, you know, limit cell phone use to areas with excellent reception. Because the weaker the reception, the more power your phone must use to transmit. And the more power it uses, the more radiation it emits. Okay? And the deeper the dangerous radio waves penetrate into your body, ideally you should only use your phone with full bars and good reception. See, did you know that? Avoid carrying your cell phone on your body and do not sleep with it under your pillow or near your head. You know, folks, I, I, I feel more sorry. Maybe these people who have to sleep with their cell phone in their pillow, maybe they ought to just grow a nice big tumor and explode because what, what, what's wrong with you? Really? You're going to sleep with your cell phone under your pillow? That is just, that's, well, that's just, I hate to say the word mentally ill, but uh, I'd, I'd say so. You know, now they, they, they consider you odd and strange and all that if you sleep with a gun under your pillow. But you know what? That gun under your pillow is a lot less damaging to you than that cell phone. And it can actually protect you because I guarantee you. Somebody busts into your house while you're sleeping and you whip out your cell phone and say, I'll dial 911 if you don't get out, you're pretty much probably going to be dead or in a situation where you really wish you were dead. However, sleep with a gun under your pillow, somebody breaks in and says, blah, 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 bang, 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 bang. Pretty much the end of that story. Um... Use a shield, a well-shielded wireless headset. Wired headsets will certainly allow you to keep the cell phone further away from your body. However, if a wired headset is not well-shielded, and most of them aren't, the wire itself can act as an antenna attracting and transmitting radiation directly to your brain. Now, we used to sell uh, these things that could go over your... Um, cell phone, you know, uh, earpiece, and block a lot of that from going into your ear. Now, that doesn't mean the radiation is not bouncing off the side of your head, because it is. It's just not being shot straight into your ear. And see, that's the problem with unshielded, wired, you know, uh, microphones and headsets, is the fact that it's an antenna, and it's going right into your ear. Now, bouncing off your skull is not a good thing, but going right into your ear, that's really bad, okay? Anyway, so there you have it, folks. This isn't new. I mean, people have been talking about this. It's just now scientists are actually coming out and saying, no, really, we have evidence. This is the way it is. We all agree. You know, this is a problem, but, oh, business is business. All right, here we go. Gly glyphosate is the most heavily used herbicide in history. 
But how can that be? I mean, we have all these genetically modified plants. Aren't they supposed to be killing the... Oh, wait. They're just killing the bugs. That's right. See, this is the whole thing that you got to understand, folks. These GMOs put pesticides. That kills bugs, not weeds, in the genetic makeup of the food, which is, mm-mm, got to be good. But herbicides, they spray around them, and the genetic modification of the plants allows the crop to not be killed by this herbicide while all the other weeds are. Yeah. Although biotech performance insists that planting genetically engineered crops decreases the need for herbicides, the introduction of Roundup-ready crops in 1906 resulted in farmers spraying 20 times the glyphosate. And, you know, really, if you read what they say, they don't claim that it decreases the need for herbicides. They say it decreases the need for pesticides, which is true. It does, because, mmm, it's like that tomato sauce that you can buy for your pizza or whatever, or your spaghetti. It's in there. A newly published scientific consensus, this is a different article, that says scientific consensus statement reveals Roundup herbicide a major health threat. Well, the major ingredient in Roundup is glyphosate. A newly published scientific consensus statement on Roundup herbicide reveals exposure to this ubiquitous toxin is increasingly and valid research proving it's safe is still nowhere to be found. A powerful new review on the toxicity of glyphosate signals a growing consensus among non-industry-sponsored scientists that the relatively unmonitored and unregulated exposure of this ubiquitous toxin can no longer be promoted as a justifiable risk. The newly released consensus statement published in the Journal of Environmental Health, what could they know, environmental health, come on! The salesman from Monsanto told me it was completely safe. As a matter of fact, you, I could drink it. Of course, he won't drink it, but I could, he said. So I believe him because he's my salesman, and he likes me, and he gives me a set of golf clubs and everything. Boy, yeah. Yeah, what could the Environmental Journal of Environmental Health know? <laughs> Concerns over use of glyphosate-based herbicides and risk associated with exposures a consensus statement. And they go on, folks, and you can just uh, imagine what they say. It ain't good for those of you using that crap and uh, promoting it and being exposed to it, which we all are, folks. Anyway, I got to go. I'll be back again tonight. Got a full day coming up. Financial survival next. And as always, thanks for listening. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. 
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events. And today is Wednesday, February 24th, 2016. Good afternoon, Al. Hi, Melody. Well, gold had a good and bad day today. We had a big rise <clears throat> in spot prices today. Um, paper markets opened down very strong today. Uh, They were down almost 300 points with gold rising, passing the 1250 level, 1254 is a high. Um, About midday, everything started to reverse itself. We're still showing a 350 positive on gold at 1229.90. Silver was down six cents at 15.31. And uh, the high for silver today was 15.66. Platinum was down 6 at 942. Palladium is down 13 at 490. Paper uh, dollar today, the USDX today, uh, again, that reversed itself, 97.46. All markets reversed themselves. Even crude oil was down big, and it turned around to 0.42 to the upside at 32.29. And the paper markets, let me get to that screen. And we do have Wendy Wilson joining us today from Apothecary Herbs. As soon as I'm done with these uh, paper numbers, uh, paper markets, the Dow was up 53 points, 16,484. The NASDAQ up 39 at 45.42. After that was down about 2% earlier in trade. The S&P up 8 at 19.29. Even the 10-year yield, that was like 1.65, I believe I saw it. 
And that reversed 1.74%. The euro's holding 110. Uh, Germany was down big, 2.6%. London, 1.6%. Hong Kong, 1.1%. Japan, under 1%. So negative markets around the world. And, uh, hey, the good old U.S. of A. was managed to uh, be up 53 points, a little over a quarter of a percent. So, um, these other markets got to get on the ball and learn how the U.S. manipulates. <laughs> then they can. Oh, they're learning. Then they can do they're the learning. same. They're learning. They're slow learners, yeah. but uh, uh, they're, they're they're coming along. They're coming. We along. should have a class. The Federal Reserve should be conducting a class this spring <laughs> for China and Europe. You guys don't understand how to properly how to manipulate yeah. your markets. Yeah, here. You're getting in a lot of trouble here, pushing those buttons and pulling those levers when you don't under understand how they work so yeah so anyway interesting day and uh but it was good to see gold uh, higher it was good to see it pass over 1250 we need to get it closed up above there and uh, we'll have to see what tomorrow brings now i'd like to say hello to wendy wilson from apothecary herbs we always enjoy having her join us on wednesdays good afternoon wendy Oh, good afternoon, Melody, and hello, Al. How's everybody? Good. Great. How you doing, Wendy? I'm good. I thought we'd talk about some evident changes in the, um, you know, free health care. we got some hostile health care situations, actually, according to medical staff. And, um, you know, socialized medical systems are, they tend to be riddled with supply and staffing and drug availability problems. And so this is what the U.S. hospitals are now experiencing. And there's also a morale problem. So according to some of the healthcare employees that are working inside of healthcare, uh, they say it has become a hostile environment. So hostile are, for patients or hostile for employees? Well, it's hostile for employees, but it doesn't do the patients any good. If you know what I'm okay. saying, uh, mm-hmm. uh, there are reports that there, you know, is hostility, but are they exaggerated? Well, according to Patricia Barnes, she's the author of Surviving Bullies, Queen Bees, and Psychopaths in the Workplace, she says the reports are valid. She says it's characterized by repetition, duration, escalation, and power disparity and willful intent. So this hostility, aren't these aren't isolated incidents among staff, and it creates a lot of job stress. And, it, and it's not like Sexual harassment, which is a well-defined legal definition, uh, bullying is yet to have a well-established unified legal definition. Now, according to a 2007 WBI survey, 13% of U.S. employees report they are bullied at work and 12% say they witness it. So the Workplace Bullying Institute reports that women are more of a bully target than men by 57%. And men are more likely to participate in bullying behavior by 60%. And get this statistic, Al, Melanie. Divorced or separated individuals are bullied more at work than married, widowed, or never married workers. This is odd. Now, Let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. Let me ask you a question. Let me see if I understand this clearly. Are you mm-hmm. saying these statistics apply to all workers in the United yeah, those, States, or they apply to government workers? Those are to all workers, but we're going to get okay. more specific to the hospital workers in just a minute. Um, okay. But uh, basically all these stats are showing tr- uh, true to form that 
the person that's higher educated is usually the individual that's a bully compared to those that maybe just have a high school education. That's just what the statistics are showing. Now, there was a 2010 survey that showed that people who worked in protective services, community and social service occupations, and public administration and retail trade industries have a higher rate of bullying there at 16 to 25%. Now, there's a whole profile on bullying behavior and what to look for, but for the lack of time, we can't get that detailed. Uh, but I do want to read uh, you some quotes from some nurses who have weighed in, because uh, hospital healthcare professionals, if they're forced to cope in a hospital environment, the patient care is suffering. So here's some examples of what some of the nurses are saying. One nurse said, I'm an ICU nurse and my patient was crashing. I ran to the hall, asked my coworker if she could help me, but she refused saying, going on a smoke break now. And uh, one of the other nurses says, I can't ask questions. The older nurses look at me like I'm stupid. And then one other quote was, after I told a younger nurse I couldn't pick up her extra days to cover her vacation, my hair got pulled three times during the shift. This is nonsense. It really is. Well, I understand. And what's the reason for this? And why bullying? I mean, we've got something that's not defined. Do we have a reason for it? Or is this just human behavior or what? Well, it is. But I think there's a lot of pressure in the healthcare system because their hospitals are running um, leaner and meaner, if you know what I mean. Uh, And I'll get to why in a minute. According to Kathleen Bartholomew, she's the author and a nursing professional national speaker, and she's an expert in physician-to-nurse communications, and she says the bullying in healthcare profession is higher than other professions. It's at 30%. And uh, so there is bullying from doctors to nurses as well as nurses to nurses. So the, this bullying in healthcare was so bad in Canada that the government there passed the bully busting bill in 2010 after a nurse died as a result of bullying. So, and she reminds us that a lot of the disruptive behaviors are hidden from general view. So, according to her, she said, the healthcare, um, when this happens, the bullying in healthcare, it translates to low morale, low patient satisfaction, low patient safety, and low quality of care. And she says the healthcare professionals, they can't think straight because they're so upset and they make mistakes. Just witnessing upset behavior, she says, in the workplace impairs cognitive tasks and productivity. Productivity. She says that um, a lot of the high turnover for nurses, most nurses quit in six months because of this high-stress environment. And she says hospital managers spend 40% of their time resolving conflicts. Eventually, they start to ignore them, and they just call it um, horizontal hostility in healthcare, which is stupid but that's what they label it. And some hospitals are taking note and taking some steps to rectify this because all these problems cost the hospital $11,000 per nurse per year, impacts patient safety, and also causes urgent patient events. So uh, some nurses can become so rattled by all this that they make medicine mistakes, medication mistakes. So um, Why why aren't the bullies... Why aren't the bullies identified and simply fired? Well, and that's the thing. Um, one of the reasons is there's fear. Uh, the bullies really uh, know how to manipulate. And, and, they, and I didn't get to go over the bully profile, but they usually pick out people that are weaker than them. 
and, uh, and and they can leverage uh, leverage their position over those people. And uh, so they, they, they use a lot of fear. Uh, and 93% of the bully communication is nonverbal. It's, they can just control you with a look. So it's, it's really, uh, if, you've never, if you've never been abused, uh, it's hard to understand. It really is. Um, I've, I've, not, I've not worked in healthcare for 20 years, but I know things have changed. And I think our job right now is to stay out of those hospital environments, you know, prevent disease or reverse it if you have it. And cleansing and nourishing the body is the way I usually go. But I do have more on this. The Affordable Care Act is so bogged down, Melody and Al, that um, it's so full of a lot of administrative garbage that patient care is being sacrificed. There's ill-trained staff. They're unable to accurately fulfill basic risk assessments for high-risk patients. And patients are complaining. They're paying hundreds of dollars a day, and staff can't manage IV drips, dressing changes, or empty bedpans. And physicians and nurses aren't reading patient records uh, entirely, and there's, uh, they, they skip over things like drug allergies, which is real important, or warning, warnings that are written on the chart by a consultant MD that there's a change in the patient's health. So um, this all adds up to mistreatment. And ERs are on record as saying that they're having trouble getting pain medications, and American hospitals really aren't um, uh, coming up to bar with the nourishment on the meals either. So it's really fallen apart in a lot of different areas. There was a report, Al, on the hospital layoffs from 2013 to 2015, and they're in the thousands. I don't have time to list them all. I'll just list by state. Hawaii had layoffs, Mississippi, uh, their big university hospitals, uh, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Connecticut, California, Missouri, New York, Colorado, Indiana, Tennessee. Now, Louisiana, Baton Rouge, State University Medical, uh, largest layoff, over 2,300 employees, um, as well as the Cleveland Clinic. They also had around a 3,000 employee uh, layoff. So, uh, Big wet, white flag is a waving for the government to take over to have a one-payer system. That's what you're seeing on the way. So, um, but even if you do, that's not going to stop the problems we're talking about here. No, it it's sounds make it like even what. Worse. Yeah, it sounds like what you really need is a doctor who is your personal doctor. All right, as opposed to an institution where if you've got a doctor the way it used to be, he wants to see your doctor, he and his nurses took care of you, there was a personal relationship. Right now, we've become anonymous in these hospital institutions, and nobody really cares. Well, you know? and here's the thing, here's the thing, the, the, the hospitals, um, because of the Affordable Care Act and the way that it's structured, um, there, there's really zero room for the hospitals now to make mistakes. Um, basically, the federal government will not reimburse for services they feel were in error, neglectful, or unnecessary. Um, so if uh, the hospitals can't be inefficient, and, but they're becoming more inefficient. Uh, what happens and is if, what's, what's if a What's driving checks, that inefficiency? Right. And if a, patient, if a patient returns to the hospital after being discharged within 60 days, the hospital can face a fine from the government. They, they didn't do their job well enough. The patient's still coming back. So um, how so are they it's in, their, it's in their interest to kill them. 
You need to die in the hospital. It looks like you're going to be back in 60 days. We're going to operate. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it, basically, in order for them to comply with all the Affordable Care Act mandates, um, they have to demonstrate services that they provided to the patient were necessary to keep the patient healthy. And and the problem is is it's it's making it more expensive for the hospitals to operate to comply, and it's making it harder for them to get paid. Let me read you this uh, a report I just got in um, this week, where um, the the people that are on the exchange, the Affordable Care Act program, um, are, their deductibles have jumped from 800 to over 1,200 dollars. And what the hospitals are seeing is these patients that are on the bronze and silver plans, which have really high deductibles of two to $5,000, the hospitals are actually asking for their money up front when the patient comes into the hospital or they won't get served because they know that these guys can't pay for it. And so they'll never get their money. So now hospitals are looking at it as a dine and dash kind of situation. And so they want their money up front before you even get admitted now. Well, that's just evidence that this whole free health care thing is collapsing around Obama's ears. Right, right, uh, absolutely. Well, and, under, and, and, and the other thing that the hospitals are doing as a loophole is, is they won't admit a patient, especially under Medicare, uh, because if you're under observation, that means all the money, all the treatment is out of pocket for the patient. They don't have to deal with Obama administration, and so they are on purpose not admitting anybody. And then the patient's unaware that they are on the hook for the whole bill. So your recommendation is that we avoid these problems by staying out of the hospitals, if at all <laughs> possible, and we do that how? Well, I mean, cleanse the nurse. You get the toxins out that cause cellular stress and weakness, and you put the nutrition in. That's pretty basic. You'd be amazed how the body bounces back and regenerates itself. And then there's some immune boosting you can do along the way as well. And that's what we specialize in. And I have seen it over and over again that this really corrects a lot of internal medicine problems. So if people would like a free catalog, we'll send it to them. Toll-free numbers to call is 866-229. 3663-866-229-3663, or just visit the website, thepowerherbs.com. Thanks, guys. All right, Wendy, thank you. That's Wendy Wilson from thepowerherbs.com, 866-229-3663. Melody and I will be back on Financial Survival in just a moment. Please stay tuned. mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our extra strength pain relief formula. 
Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is Financial Survival. I'm here with Melody Cedarstrom. Programs brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. What's next, Melody? I want to remind the listeners to visit our website at dgscoins.com, dgscoins.com. Make sure you sign up for the weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays. And, of course, we do archive our radio programs. You can listen there live, and they are archived dgscoins.com. We got some great prices on gold and silver. And they're kind of hard to, to price out specials because of the, the way the, the prices have just fluctuated uh, so much. We do have some great fractional pieces in. Uh, we have some one-tenth ounce American gold eagles along with silver eagles. There are no delays in any of the product. The only product that I'd mentioned yesterday when Greg Hunter was on uh, the air with us were foreign gold and uh, platinum items, and they're even beginning to move a little bit more. So no delays in any of the products. It's just a matter of uh, getting it in sometimes uh, because we order and they deliver, but uh, we have to wait sometimes. There's a little gap a day or two, but uh, very rarely does anybody even notice Uh, that little gap. So give us a call at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. An article from the Washington Times reporting what everyone already knows. I'm sure you know, but it's worth talking about a little bit. Donald Trump dominates in Nevada. 
Businessman Donald Trump easily won the Nevada GOP caucuses Tuesday, rolling to his third straight victory in the 2016, 19, 2016 nomination race and giving him extra momentum heading into the delegate-rich Super Tuesday contests next week. Thirty delegates to the Republican National Convention were at stake. This is uh, uh, in Nevada. Trump's victory followed wins in New Hampshire and South Carolina. With 100% of the vote counted, Mr. Trump had 45.9% of the vote. Mr. Rubio at 23.8%. Mr. Cruz at 21.3%. Retired neurosurgeon Ben Carson was at 4.8%. Ohio Governor John Kasich was trailing at 3.6%. You have to wonder when John Kasich is going to probably... Uh, is he going to see the light here before this is all over? And Ben Casey, Ben Carson also, uh, are they going to drop out? Or are they going to hang on ben until Casey. the bitter end? Ben Casey. You remember Ben Casey? Did I say Ben Casey? Yeah, at first you did, but yeah, well, I, I remember said ben Dave Casey. Carson. <laughs> Dave Carson's not the guy running either, but Dave Carson is somebody I used to know years ago. Yeah. Yeah, a friend of mine yeah, back in the day. Uh, Mr. Trump capitalized on voter frustration with Washington with entrance polls showing that about 6 in 10 caucus voters wanted a candidate from outside the political establishment and were angry with the federal government. Now, we talked a little about that on another program I do on Tuesday nights. There are a couple of surveys out that show that, on the one hand, the biggest fear in people's lives. They did a survey, and they listed 88 items that some people regard it as fearful. The number one fear for Americans is government corruption. All right? That's interesting. And there were more government-related fears in addition to that, but that was the number one at 58%. Um, second survey came out and was similarly another indication that people are just fed up to their ears with government. All right? Numbers in terms of 60, 70, 80 percent of the people have a very negative attitude toward government. And there's a point behind this. And the point is that most of the people, certainly I am anti-government. All right. I don't like what's going on with our government. I feel that the government is betraying us on a regular basis. And I think most of the people who listen to this program think the same way or at least, you know, they are susceptible to that thinking. Well, We tend to view ourselves as a minority. And people, if you have a negative opinion about the government, say, well, I better keep my mouth shut. Don't say anything because they'll all think I'm crazy. Turns out we're in the majority. We're not some little lunatic fringe. The ideas and the attitudes that we espouse and that most of the people listening to this program embrace to some degree, these attitudes and ideas are common in the United States. And the only thing that keeps many of us from talking about it is that the mainstream media doesn't really give us much play. They don't talk on a regular basis about how people have become disenchanted, and even antagonistic to government. If we were getting a more legitimate play out of the mainstream media, there'd be a lot more people that would be standing up in the open and saying, hey, this, is, this stuff's got to stop. Trump is, his candidacy and his success is an illustration of this idea. 
Trump is not some lunatic off the lunatic fringe. Trump is talking about what Americans in general are talking about. And he's the first one to do it. And for the moment, he's more or less the only one who's doing it. And that's why people, again, six in ten caucus voters wanted a candidate from outside the political establishment. We know they're a bunch of crooks. They don't even bother to hide it. They don't have enough respect for us to even hide their, their treason. Their willingness to allow illegal aliens to pour into the country. Their willingness to encourage illegal aliens to come into the country. Bring Muslims in from the Middle East. Send our jobs to foreign countries. And the idiots, that would be you and me, we're supposed to just sit there and accept it and never complain and never understand. Well, it's turning out that 60, 70, 80% of the people do understand. And Trump has been the first politician to stand up and take advantage and speak out and say what a lot of people are saying, but only secretly, privately, because they thought they were all alone. Now we're beginning to find out, nope, they're not alone. They are. They have been the silent majority, and they are becoming the, I don't know, the, the, the loud majority. Mr. Trump won 70% of those who wanted an outsider, and 49% said of those who were angry. He even won 44% of the Hispanic vote in Tuesday's contest. Now there's a surprise. I mean, Trump, after saying we need to get rid of the illegal aliens, you would think you'd have a hard time finding one Hispanic in 100 who would be prepared to support Trump. And in, and in Nevada, 44% of the Hispanic vote in the Tuesday uh, Republican primary, they said, yeah, vote for Trump. Well, they do have a lot of Hispanics in Nevada, and he does supply a lot of jobs to them in, in Las Vegas. But what I find encouraging, Al, is the numbers that you're, you're talking about, a group of people that, you know, there's more of us. We're not the minority. We're the mm. majority. My mm. question is, look how many more that are still quiet because they don't want to go with the, 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 the flamboyant Mr. Trump. You know, so many of them that are still tied to that Republican Party. I'll guarantee you there's a large percent that have those same feelings and they want to voice, but yep. they can't go against their, uh, the, the, their commitment to the Republican Party. Well, they can if they want to. They, well, it's a, it's, it's, it's a they, process, Al. It's, it's a process. So. You know, so I would expect that those numbers, and I'm talking this in a positive manner, I would expect that those numbers will, is, are even greater. Well, I think that's what we're going to see. Um, we've we've seen these numbers are large right now. I think they'll get larger. Um, the, according to this article, again, from the Washington Times, I think that's where it was from, turnout was at a record pace, indicating that Mr. Trump drove first-time voters to the caucuses. Trump is attracting people who don't normally vote. Huh? And that's probably half the American people. Now, I don't mean that he's attracted, that, he's, that everyone who doesn't normally vote is all of a sudden attracted to Mr. Trump. But nevertheless, he's getting people involved because he's a candidate who says, look, some of this is a bunch of crapola and it needs to be stopped and he's not mincing words. I don't necessarily agree with everything Trump is doing, but nevertheless, he's putting things out in the open. And he's telling everyone in Washington, every congressman, every senator, that business as usual is not going to be usual in the future. You're going to take bribes at your own peril. 
You're going to betray, betray the American people's interests at your own peril. You want to vote for the Trans-Pacific Partnership? You want to vote for um, the trade agreements that send our economy down the toilet? We're going to make you get, ourself or get yourself a real job. We're going to run you out of Congress. We're going to run you out of the Senate. This is no longer a situation where the government can just sit back and do as they please, and everybody's just going to put up with it. We're seeing the beginning of a dramatic change, and I expect that change to become more pronounced and more obvious over the, over the next few years. It's going to be a dangerous time to be a politician. There are a lot of people who are fed up, and we've been silent. We've put up with it. The government thought we'd put up with it forever. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a line in the, in, the, in the Declaration of Independence, and I'm going I'm to look for it right this moment, see if I can find it. It says, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. What they're saying is that people will put up with an enormous amount of abuse before they finally say, all right, you SOBs, here we come. We are beginning to see with the Trump campaign we're beginning to see evidence of people who have finally had enough. The evils are no longer sufferable, and they are now ready to go after the forms to which they've become accustomed, which we find in Washington, D.C. right now. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I would say that the people in government, they need to pay attention. I don't doubt they are paying attention, and many of them are saying, oh, my God, how are we going to get out of this one? And I don't think they are. They have dug a hole for the whole country, and now they want to try to avoid responsibility for, for having dug that hole. And I think they're going to find out maybe, they were, maybe we'll put that hole to good use before this is all over. In any case, Trump won. It's not a surprise, but some of the evidence, again, the numbers that are voting for him, um, and the people coming from 44% of the Hispanic vote went for Trump. I mean... That's pretty amazing. That's really pretty amazing. So we'll see. There, there, is, there is a logical reason for that. I mean, I, I, maybe it's more, you know, a different reason. Trump doesn't but, employ 44% of the Hispanic people in Nevada. What? No, it's, but I mean, they know they're... I didn't say he employs 44%. I understand, but... But I'm said, sure he has a very strong presence along with the other hotel owners and, and so forth and, and whatnot. But I'm just, it, it's interesting that, and it'll be interesting to see when you get to another state that has a high Hispanic uh, population to see, and that will give us a true, uh, you know, a true signal of where those numbers came from. But he has to do it in another state, too. Mm-hmm. Then you do it in one, you start with one. You know, one is one. Hey, look, there's no reason why he wouldn't get the Hispanic vote, because you have Hispanics that are here legally, that are working legally, and anything that comes across the border illegally also competes for their jobs. I understand so, that. So, yes, they, I can see where... But it's breaking up a stereotype. What he's breaking up a stereotype. And even the Hispanic people, it's a little like the American people in the surveys I was talking about. Two surveys that indicate, one, people's greatest fear in this country is government corruption. 
Right? The single greatest fear, and they list 88 different things you can be afraid of. And the biggest fear was government corruption. All right? It's evidence of a dramatic change in public opinion, public sentiment. If 44% of the Hispanic vote are voting in favor of Mr. Trump, they're saying, to heck with the Hispanic let's, agenda. Let's see how another state comes out. Well, we'll see. That'll be, it'll be interesting. It's very interesting. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's another one. This is from the Wall Street Journal. And the headline is J.P. Morgan. What's even scarier than oil? That's the headline. According to J.P. Morgan Chase, the biggest threat to future earnings isn't low prices. And it means future earnings for the, for the bank. The biggest threat to future earnings isn't low prices, low oil prices. It's super low interest rates. And we've talked about this in the last week or so. Um, the negative interest rates that are proposed in, the, in some places implemented in Europe, for example, and Japan, and some people are proposing them for here in the United States, and even zero interest rates. These have to have brutalized the banks. And a lot of people have said, look, the banks are all working hand in glove. The central, uh, and the Federal Reserve and the central banks of the work are, world are working with the rest of the banks, and they're out to oppress us and the rest of that. And the banks are finally coming up and say, look, we're taking a beating on this thing. And here's uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Again, biggest threat is super low interest rates. Suppressed interest rates are far more, far more damaging to long-run uh, profitability. They present a couple of examples, and if uh, the Federal Reserve sticks to the pace of tightening implied by its latest forecast for the short-term rates are likely to end up in, in, in coming years, um, these projected increases for 2016 and afterwards would bring the federal funds rate to around 3.25% by the end of 2018, from, from 0.375% now. In the blue sky scenario, J.P. Morgan would earn about $10 billion if interest rates went from 0.375% to 3.25%. They'd earn an additional $10 billion in 2018. <clears throat> if they stay more or less, if they, if they are increased more gradually, J.P. Morgan would only get $6 billion of an additional net, net income. Well, they're saying, look, our income depends on these, on these interest rates. And the big story here is that banks that were deemed too big to fail just eight years ago are now being abandoned, seemingly abandoned, and left to make it, that, make it on their own or go bankrupt. The Fed that nurtured banks and protected them through the Great Recession appears not only unable or unwilling to do so again, but it seems to be creating economic circumstances like Zero interest rate policy, which we've had for eight years, a negative interest rate policy, which is being proposed in places, that will certainly impoverish the banks. So what's going on here? If some of the banks were truly too big to fail just eight years ago, why are they being left to fail today? Something strange is happening. Don't know precisely what it is, but it's something to watch. Let's take a break for some commercials. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. Please stay tuned.
heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three W's.thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm Alfred Addis, here with Melody Cedarstrom on financial survival. Uh, we've got an article from Bloomberg. Saudi Arabia to U.S. oilmen, cut costs or exit the business. There's the headline. The world's most powerful oil man brought a harsh message to Houston for executives hoping for a rescue from low prices. High-cost producers need to either lower costs, borrow cash, or liquidate the message came from Saudi Arabian oil minister Ali Al-Nami. And it means that deeper spending cuts, laying off more roughnecks and idling drilling rigs is coming to the American industry, oil industry. According to uh, Nami, he says it sounds harsh and unfortunately it is, but it is, it is the most efficient way to rebalance markets. As many as 74 North American producers face significant difficulties in sustaining debt, according to a credit rating from uh, credit rating firm Moody's Investor Services. Shale explorers from Texas to North Carolina will be decimated in coming months amid a wave of restructuring and bankruptcies. In months, you know, shale explorers from Texas to North Carolina, they're predicting they're going to be decimated in coming months months, that's this year, amid a wave of restructurings and bankruptcies. For the oil industry itself, the warning sign of more, uh, the warning is a sign of more months, perhaps years of financial pain. 
Um, Naimi told executives in Houston that Saudi Arabia believed that freezing oil production, as just agreed with Russia, would be enough to eventually balance the market. Over time, high-cost producers will get out of the business, and rising demand will slowly eat up the oversupply. Um, Now, he's talking about freezing production with Russia. And he goes on and he says the freeze agreement with Russia isn't cutting production. That's not going to happen, Naomi said. Uh, so Saudi Arabia is saying we're not going to produce anymore. We're not going to raise our production limits. We've frozen them at this top level. But we're not cutting. That's not going to happen. So all this means is they're going to hold what they've got. And they're going to let the rest of the war, the oil world, essentially fight it out to see who's going to survive. And many of the firms and perhaps even some countries won't, won't survive without, I mean, firms will go bankrupt and some of the countries will certainly go into political instability. And Saudi Arabia said, hmm, better them than us. In Houston, Naomi faced the same people that Saudi Arabia is trying to put out of business from North Dakota shale and Canadian tar sands to the deep water fields of offshore Brazil, who need prices far above current levels to make profits. For the past year and a half, they have been fighting for survival. And Naomi comes out and he says, quite correctly, he says, cutting low-cost production to subsidize higher-cost supplies only delays an inevitable reckoning. And he's exactly right. That's what people want. They say, you guys that are producing oil so cheap, you need to stop it so the rest of us can continue producing at higher prices. And, uh, and Saudi Arabia said, why should we subsidize you people that are producing at higher prices? Why should we cut our production, cut our income in order to subsidize you at higher prices? In the end, it's a false, I mean, w- the idea of subsidizing higher prices what industry, what industry can you point to where we can do that and it's ultimately going to be good for the people, good for the, even the industry? It'll be interesting to see if China or maybe even the Saudis will come in and pick up some of these, some of the drilling and so forth that is really ready to go belly up. I don't expect they will. I mean, it all things considered, they're not going to make a recovery. It's not as if you're going to be able to get a good buy yeah, but at on rock, a cheap oil well right now. At rock bottom. Maybe at rock bottom. Uh, at rock bottom. Who's going to want them? <clears throat> if there's a glut of oil, at least so long as the glut remains, you know, people are going to sit back and say, I don't need another oil. Well, what do I need that for? It's not going to make me any money. Here's another article from Bloomberg. It would be a nice place to be buying up some oil in the United States if you don't have a position there. Yeah, but a nice way, nice foot in the door. Yeah, but you can cap those. You can cap those rigs. Yes, but what door? Here's an article from Bloomberg. Another one, and it says another oil crash is coming, and there may be no recovery. And they say superior electric cars are on their way, and they could begin to wreck oil markets within a decade. In fact, they talk about uh, within seven years. It's time for oil investors to start taking electric cars seriously. In the next two years, Tesla and Chevy plan to start selling electric cars with a range of more than 200 miles priced at the $30,000 range. 
Ford is investing billions. Volkswagen is investing billions. And Nissan and BMW are investing billions. Nearly every major car maker, as well as Apple and Google, is working on the next generation of plug-in cars. Question is, how soon could electric vehicles trigger an oil glut by reducing demand by the same, by, by 2 billion barrels? Even amid low gasoline prices last year, electric car sales jumped 60% worldwide. Now, that's an impressive figure. Everybody's, we've seen jokes. I've seen, well, now, you know, and I've joked myself, now you can afford to go buy yourself an SUV because gas prices are low. But in fact, the electric car sales jumped 60%, even though the price of gasoline was at nearly record low levels. People are still buying electric cars. If that level of growth continues, a crash-triggering benchmark of 2 million barrels of reduced demand could come as early as 2023, seven years from now. This article implies that electric cars may grow so rapidly by 2023, again, just seven years from now, the demand for gasoline and crude oil could be cut so low. The prices of crude oil and of producing corporate oil producing corporations stocks could be permanently diminished. The implication here is that the petroleum industry may be on track to fug, to follow the buggy whip manufacturers. It's hard to believe that the petroleum industry might be on the way out and might enter a permanent state of decline within the next seven years due to the proliferation of electrically powered automobiles, but it's maybe hard to believe right this moment, but it's not impossible. And as fast as things are changing in the world right now, I mean, this, this could happen. So the times are not only a changing, they're a changing fast, right? So if oil producers look at these, if they agree with this article from Bloomberg and, and uh, the people behind it, that the oil industry may be on the way out, right, permanently, not a blip, permanently. Then who wants to buy the oil well? Um, where's the market going to be for it? Where's the market going to be for oil? There may be a lot of capped oil wells, and in the event we ever run out of batteries for our electric cars, and maybe we'll go uncapped those well, Sure, oil. I mean, automobiles do <clears throat> does play a, a, take a large part of that oil for gasoline, but, I mean, there are still other industries that'll continue to no, use oil. Not, I mean, it's not going to go away. No, it's not going to die, but the price is going to stay low on into the foreseeable future. And when I see that first electric vehicle, well, you know, then, you know, we'll, we'll see. And how long those electric vehicles... Well, I mean, and, and to see how easily those vehicles are, you know, brought into the, you know, family garage... I mean, I would love to have one. Don't get me wrong, but you know, um, they're out there. They're being sold right now. People are getting them. People are using them. Um, my family has a Prius, and I really like it. Uh, yeah. They I can use they can use both gasoline and uh, uh, and it's great when they're low on gas. <laughs> they don't have to worry about running out. So it is a neat little vehicle. It really is. Uh, the implication on all of this, though, is that the oil business, they may have one last hurrah if this article is correct. They may have a last hurrah where prices go higher, 
significantly higher sometime during the next seven years. But that may be the end of the line for them. At that point in time, the number of electric cars in the market may be enough to set a permanent decline in the amount of crude oil that's produced in the world. And given the glut we have already and the glut that we're likely to have thereafter, that means the price of oil is going down. One last, maybe one last significant upward blip, but it's only going to last a couple of years, and then we're going to see a decline that will go on as, you know, on into the future, and oil's going to become something nowhere near as important as it's been in the last century. It's moved the world for the last century. It's not going to move the world for this century. Uh, that's the implication. And all by itself, that raises, that's, that suggests we're going to see changes in geopolitics. What's going to happen to the Middle East when they find out that the oil glut is something like permanent and that prices are permanently low? How much tension will it, will it create over there? What about Venezuela? All right, they're already up to their knees or up to their ears in, uh, in, in, in political instability because prices, oil prices are too low for them. Brazil's going to have a problem. This is going to change. It's going to predispose people to wars. It's going to change political power levels and structures, one thing or another like that. A lot of things are going to happen because of the technology of electric cars. And you can bet. I mean, nobody, no one can doubt that whatever the, whatever the situation is with electric cars right now, Tesla, for example, made a great automobile. They were selling, they were selling for $75,000 a car, a lot of money for a car. But it's a, it is, it, in its own way, a spectacular automobile. Yeah, that should get and one in And it will become garage. more spectacular and at lesser, at, at lower prices. And once somebody makes a real breakthrough in battery technology, and that could happen any day. Maybe it's already happened and it's been to some that's, degree suppressed. That's what I believe. All right. Entirely possible. But sooner or later, somebody's going to come out with a battery that will let you put, let that car ride not just 200 or 250 miles, which isn't enough for cross-country driving. You can't just drive. You can't plan I'm going to drive from New York to California in my electric car if I have to stop every five hours to recharge the batteries. Uh, nobody's going to do that. People want to be able to drive eight, ten hours a day. You get a battery in those cars that will let you drive eight or ten hours a day put on five or 600 miles a day, all of a sudden those cars are as good as gasoline-powered vehicles. And we'll see that. And it's just a question of how soon. And when we do, oil industry is going to suffer a significant and permanent decline. Or at least that's the way it appears at the moment. So, you know, I'm just saying, if you've got some money squirreled away under your mattress that you'd like to invest, it may be that the crude oil business is not the place to go. It's perhaps, again, it may have one last hurrah where they make some serious money and people profit and everybody cheers for a couple of years. But long-term, oil is perhaps 
not a dying industry, but it's it's an industry that's that's declining, and it's going to continue to decline significantly on into the future. So probably not the place to invest your last money. So there's a word to the wise, Melody. So you need, if you've got some money that you'd like to invest, you need to look for something other than crude oil. And gee, what would that be, Al? I have no idea. I'm thinking about baseball cards, maybe. Baseball cards? Baseball cards. That's what I was thinking about. Hey, you get the right one. It could be a pretty good return. But we do have some great prices on gold and silver coins. Ladies and gentlemen, give us a call. 1-800-375-4188. And remember, um, grams, you pay too much for your gold. You're much better off with a one-tenth ounce American gold eagle. You get more gold for your money. I don't know how why that's so difficult, um, but give us a call, 800-375-4188. Okay, folks, we're out of time. Thank you for listening. Melody and I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, a good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me. heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Americans for Immigration Control is a leading national organization dedicated to reasonable levels of legal immigration and effective enforcement to stop illegal immigration. With more than 250,000 members and supporters nationwide, we are an effective voice for immigration reform. AIC stands up in Washington for the views of most Americans on immigration. We are the leaders in stopping recent legislation to reward 10 million or more illegal aliens with legal status and eventual citizenship. The late Georgia Congress and Charlie Norwood had this to say about us. AIC has earned a reputation among members of Congress as one of the most active and responsive advocacy groups in the field of immigration. Join AIC today. For more information, go to our website, immigrationcontrol.com. That's immigrationcontrol.com or call 540-468-2023. That's 540-468-2023.
using your cell phone for business or staying in touch with family, your cell phone use is increasing. Use the Wave Shield, developed for ultimate cellular protection. The Wave Shield blocks, reduces, and deflects up to 97% of the radiation from entering the soft tissue of your ear. The Wave Shield, made of a patented mesh material, is proven and tested to block radiation without affecting reception. Order your Wave Shield today for only $19.95. Did he just say $19.95? Hey, times are tough, so American Voice Radio Network is cutting the price to $17.95. That's right, $17.95 plus mailing. You can protect yourself, family, and friends from cell phone danger to your inner ear. $17.95 at TheAmericanVoice.com. That's the superstore at TheAmericanVoice.com. $17.95 plus mailing. Order now. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Green Beret All right, everybody, welcome to uh, Wednesday. Wow. Time flies, doesn't it? When you're having fun, you're listening to American Voice Radio just exactly as you should be. So if nothing else goes right today, you're right on target. This is Freedom Call. I'm your host, Bo Greitz. Now, a lot of people wonder what God looks like. Is Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus the Christ, swarthy? dark-haired, brown-eyed, Middle Easterner? Or is he, as uh, some have pointed out uh, in uh, Roman records maintained uh, by uh, the heads of state and getting reports from the occupied areas there uh, in Palestine, uh, is he of... Fair complexion, blue-eyed, light-haired. Well, there is somebody uh, who says he knows. He's a four-year-old or young boy named Colton. Four years old, and he almost didn't get any older. He had a... uh, wrong diagnosis with 
a bad appendix, not once, but twice by doctors. Next thing you know, uh, his parents are picking up his lifeless uh, body, and he's being rushed to a hospital emergency uh, to receive uh, surgery for this appendix that had ruptured five days earlier. Miraculously, young boy Colton four survives, and uh, it was actually four months later, Colton uh, began telling uh, his mother at first, and then later his dad, things that uh, it wasn't possible for him to have known just uh, in the four years that uh, he was part of the family. He said, for example, Mom, I have two sisters, and you had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you? Now, Sonia, his mother, was shocked. She said when she asked him who told him this, he said, she did, Mommy. She said she died in your tummy. Well, Todd, the dad, and Sonia, the mom, had never mentioned anything to Colton about the miscarriage before Colton was ever born. So young Colton goes on to tell his mom that uh, she was a girl and she looked familiar, and she started giving me hugs and she was glad to have someone in her family up there. Up there? <laughs> Asked by his dad about uh, the hospital experience, Colton says, You know, Dad, the angels sang to me while I was there. Colton said that while he was on the operating table, he went to heaven that he met his great-grandfather, Pop. Colton says his grandfather didn't look like the man in the photo in his house, but instead he looked like the man in the picture sent months later by his grandmother, a young man without glasses. Later, Colton described the Messiah, he talked about Armageddon and how God told him that his father would fight in the final battle. Now, Todd is a pastor. He said he never talked like this and about these subjects uh, with his preschool-age son. But uh, the boy... Uh, seems happy, and has been on television. <laughs> now, do you believe that these things uh, could happen? Well, <clears throat> the answer is uh, yes. I personally believe, and that in near-death experiences, that uh, 
it, it is God's will. But occasionally, uh, the person who is close to heaven has uh, these amazing and wonderful experiences of love, of light, of Christ, of uh, angels, beautiful music, seeing people uh, who were of their family that seemed to be there as guides. So uh, I would say, and when you get to be my age, you realize that uh, you don't have that long, probably, uh, to live. You wouldn't probably start a new career even though I've started the karate classes I had to uh, give up back in uh, 1985 and because as a government agent I was constantly being sent uh, overseas for undetermined periods, uh, even though they were all <clears throat> direct action mission associated, which means that they were point-type targets. Uh, I went to Africa, West Africa, for example, on a black money deal, uh, which ended up taking about three weeks. But you can't be a karate instructor if you're not going to be there because the students uh, depend on you. And uh, so it had been uh, all these years since uh, I had uh, had to walk away from the karate class that I started in Little Sandy Valley at about 50 students. And so I thought, uh, well, what uh, can I do now? I still uh, stand ready to teach people uh, how to fly. Uh, primarily now I give these uh, biennial, which are uh, flight reviews uh, to licensed pilots that uh, once every two years have to have an hour's worth of ground school and an hour's worth of instructor flight time to sign them off. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, I am a, a karate instructor. As a matter of fact, I'm the chief instructor for the American Council on Karate Instruction. I said, why, uh, I mean, being older, does that mean that I have forgotten? I haven't forgotten. It's like uh, I was born with it because uh, you worked this skill for years and years. And at one time, I was probably teaching on the average of at least four hours a day. I took this skill to combat with me. I've used it in hand to gland uh, well, as a matter of fact. And so uh, I have started that again. It's kind of like maybe I'll be able to, you know, at least impart enough uh, of the skill uh, to the 30-some students that I have now uh, to make up for uh, what I started. I should finish it. Well, I hope that, because uh, I think about uh, life after death, and uh, I always have. I, it has been my contention that you cannot be a total fearless warrior if you have uh, any 
fears. Now, really, what is fear? Well, fear comes from the unknown. I used to take uh, black belt candidates uh, into a special little testing where they were brought in blindfolded into a perfectly black room, not a bit of light. And they were made to uh, negotiate this room, which had uh, serpent-like things and uh, spider webs and other things that uh, would excite the imagination of the unknown to see if these uh, candidates for Shodan, first-degree black belt, uh, were actually uh, able to control themselves. And so uh, I, as a young Special Forces A-team leader uh, in combat, had uh, had preconditioned my A-team. We had six months of intensive uh, training just as an A-team before we went to Vietnam. And uh, I hope that every one of them uh, was fearless, that they understood about death and what happens after death. I didn't try to teach them uh, religion, but I wanted them to conclude that at death, you don't worry about it. Whatever is going to happen, whether you continue to live or whether you, when you're dead, you're dead, I didn't care. I wanted them to put it out of their minds because the road to life is actually a paradox. You must choose death. Before I would uh, infiltrate as part of a Delta teams where we only had two Americans and three Chinese, I would imagine that uh, I was uh, would fall into a pit of cobras. I imagine that I landed in, uh, in man traps aligned with ponzi stakes. I imagined every conceivable way that I could be killed on that mission. And then all that was left was for me. There wasn't any death anymore. There wasn't any agony. There wasn't any fear. Now all we had to do was do it. And so uh, you choose the road to death. You live because your mind, your energy can be 110% focused. If you're thinking about your family or getting back or things that you haven't done that you want to do or things that you've done that you wish you wouldn't have, friends, at that moment, the enemy uh, may be just ahead of you. And so uh, I hope that uh, this little testimony, you can learn a lot more because this uh, boy's father uh, Colton, uh, the boy, has uh, actually got a, uh, a best-selling book called Heaven is for Real. Heaven is for Real. And so you might want to go down. I know Borders is going bankrupt. 200 stores, bookstores are closed. Nobody reads anymore. But look around. might go on the Internet, see if you can uh, find... Heaven is for real, where you can read in detail what this young lad says happened to him. And I found out something. (laughs) Young, young, young people, very hard for them 
to use imagination uh, to bring up and recall and recite uh, such mature subject matter. And I uh, I know that uh, my son, Michael, my number three son, uh, he and I, when we had company over, we'd go back in my office, which was uh, a garage office. Uh, when I lived in California and was an instructor at the Los Angeles Hypnosis Institute, and I would go back there, and Michael and I would kind of experiment. And I asked him one time if he would object to me uh, seeing if he had past life recollections. And I was much more surprised than uh, he was, I think, when uh, in his regression we went past this life back to a time where uh, he was, I would say, in uh, around the World War I era. He was a, a young cadet whose class ended early because of the war. He was then commissioned a second lieutenant of infantry, and he was killed in combat. And he described for me only what real combat infantrymen know about the battlefield and hand-to-hand combat. And I know that my son could not have these things. It was impossible in his imagination. All right, now, let's uh, jump on, because I, uh, looking at time, there is a man who called me today that uh, sent my heart soaring. His name is Ken Anderson. Now, you've heard a lot of stories about the Andersons. (laughs) You know, there's survivalists and Ken Anderson is one of the uh, wonderful people, one of my favorite people. Ken Anderson is a health care specialist. Ken Anderson will make you younger. Ken Anderson will add uh, decades, maybe, to your life. Ken Anderson is what I would call a good Christian man. He is absolutely honest, (laughs) and he has a purpose, and that is to glorify God by helping people with health needs. Now, Ken Anderson was sent to prison, of course. You can't have anybody uh, doing good. There is no good deed that goes unpunished. And so Ken Anderson and his wife, were both sent to prison. They went in prison the same day, and they just got out the same day. And the reason? Willful failure to file. Now, just like Dr. Ward Dean, a medical doctor who's a good friend of mine, Ward Dean was sent to prison for seven years. He did file. Uh, He just didn't file the way that the IRS wanted him to. And, but he's a very intelligent, smart man. He thought he did what was right. 
Now, Ken Anderson is a law-abiding man, and he actually believes in his heart of hearts that there is no requirement to file income tax. Well, the IRS arrested him, and they told him and his wife that they were going to prison. It's like this Lindsay Lohan. Judge told her today, uh, you're going to go to prison. Well, they could either send Ken to prison on a misdemeanor for one year, or he could plead not guilty, and if found guilty, the prosecution said, we guarantee you, and the judge will do it, 10 years for you and your wife in prison. Well, Ken decided with his wife that they would plead guilty. And so you may say, well, Bo, they can't send you to federal prison uh, if you uh, are on a misdemeanor. Well, yes, they can. You see, this was Ken's second misdemeanor uh, with concern to the IRS. And so... Ken was sent, as his wife, to federal prison. Now, the first uh, six months, he said he was in a camp that didn't even have a wall around it in Northern California. And he said that what changed is that some patriots held a mock trial now, they didn't really have anything to do with him, but they felt that Ken was innocent, and so they held a trial, a mock trial, like maybe you and I would get together and say, hey, instead of playing charades tonight, let's hold a mock trial, and uh, one of you guys be Ken Anderson, and one of you be the IRS. Anyway, uh, the IRS took that mock trial, which found Ken and his wife innocent, as if Ken, Ken himself, even though he had nothing to do with it, it was as if he was going to try to escape. It was as if he was himself bad-mouthing the IRS. And so they took him out of the camp and they put him in hard-time prison for the last six months. Now, it's dumb and it's stupid. It makes me so heartbroken. It makes me angry when I see people like Ward Dean, who has helped tens of thousands of people. I don't know that he's ever charged a vet. Dr. Ward Dean was a, a captain a combat ranger, his first tour in Vietnam. He got sick of killing people. He's a West Point graduate. So when his tour was over, he came home, he got out of the Army, he went to medical school. He is an MD. He's dedicated his life to lengthening life, especially for vets. Ken has done so much for me. 
I don't know if I'd be alive today with my lifestyle the way it's been. See, a lot of people say, well, Bo, you haven't lived so many chronological, you know, your mileage is high. My RPMs, I'm like a, a race car. You just don't get the total miles without uh, something going. And I think that if I do continue to to survive and persevere, it's because of what Ward Dean did and Ken Anderson. Many of you heard about my spike program. I always, I had 12 phases. And I promised that if you would attend each phase, you would be as qualified as anyone who was awarded the Green Beret for Special Forces. I trained Green Berets. I was an instructor, so I know what the requirements are. Except we don't. We didn't go. We had a self-defense part of each training cycle. We had a medical part to each cycle. Now, for example, phase four is emergency birthing. Friends, this uh, phase four, that particular medical class is not for the faint of heart. This is about how to birth a child when you do not have regular medical facilities and you have things like prelapse cords or inverted births. And it is real. You see exactly what to do. And so Ken was one of my medical specialists during the spike training because Ken Anderson knows everything about uh, vitamins and about what caused you to live longer and look younger. And I'm so happy that Ken is free now. When we come back, I'm going to give you a telephone number for Ken Anderson because IRS or health-wise, he's just getting back on his feet. But before you face the IRS in court, before, uh, you know, if you have any health problems, talk to Ken Anderson, will you? So get ready with something to write with, and we're going to take a little bit of a pause now, but we are coming back. We've got an awful lot of things that I would say are of major importance to you today. This is Freedom Call on American Voice Radio. Now you stay exactly as you are.
your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at lancet.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Boys Radio. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one forty. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
right, guys, we're back with you. Now, I had mentioned uh, to you about uh, Ken Anderson and that he is just out of prison. It, again, I can't, I get emotional. It makes me so brokenhearted when I think that it seems like, in my case, I know so many people that have been sent to prison because of the damnable IRS. And uh, I just, uh, guys like uh, Ken Anderson, I'm glad that he pled guilty. Now, I don't believe Ken thought he was ever breaking the law. I don't think he would have... uh, had willful failure to file if there was even an ounce. Because Ken is a biblical scholar. And Ken, when he called me, I was so happy to hear him. And then, uh, you know, he said, well, I said, my God, you know, tell me what happened. And he said, well, Bo, uh, you understand that in the Bible, we're basically told Uh, if we are slaves, to be good slaves and not to uh, try to overthrow or don't try to undermine or to backstab or to somehow uh, go against uh, your uh, earthly masters. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, uh, we think, well, what is this? Uh, How come we, everybody in the world, uh, can't be like uh, Americans. Well, uh, you know, let me give you just something just popped into mind, so uh, it must be something I'm supposed to say. First Corinthians chapter 12 is a really good lesson when I'm thinking about Ken Anderson because what basically the the lesson of that chapter is, and actually I think it goes on to chapter 13, Uh, gospel according to Bowl, but is that we are all part of a body. We are part of the body of Christ. Now, a body has uh, a a little toe. A body has a brain. A body has eyes. A body uh, has uh, little tiny nerves. Uh, We're made up of of uh, our our own physical body is made up of millions of little individual parts, but they all have something in common. They're all part of our body. Well, all of us are part of God's creation in some way. Now, it may be that uh, those who end up being uh, antichrists or those who end up uh, not believing in God, hating God. Maybe it's like they were cells that turned into cancer because of uh, Satan and one-third of the hosts of heaven that somehow influenced them that followed him down there. My point is is that what Ken was saying is, uh, listen, I don't hold uh, any great offense against a flawed government. Our government is not perfect. Now, I understand this. 
And it's not the Constitution. I believe the Constitution was divinely inspired. It is those who are in office who execute day-to-day type things. Usually tyranny uh, knocks your door down. What? Carrying guns and wearing badges. You don't see tyranny uh, take a form other than, I mean, look at, at a, look around you at the world's governments. And now uh, today, for example, we've got uh, the president right now. Oh, my gosh, maybe I shouldn't even tell you. But right now, the president is speaking. Obama, uh, he came on uh, about uh, oh, 25 minutes ago. And it's because people want him to be on the side of protesters in Libya and Egypt and Tunisia and uh, Bahrain and all these other Middle Eastern countries that uh, I believe uh, CIA has bought riots. They have fused. They have put detonators with uh, groups that uh, have reason maybe not to, uh, you know, they're dissident groups. And they have lit those fuses with money. And those fuses have burned down. The detonators have gone off. And we're seeing these countries explode. Well, maybe. Now, you see, God, in, in a body, what would it be if you didn't have Part of were designed to devour other parts that uh, were uh, bad cells, or the uh, you know the digestion of food, uh, things that police our body. Sometimes uh, they get out of control, don't they? But it's all part. And so when we uh, look, I don't believe that men should just lay in the dying cockroach and cry for God to beam them up. By the way, while uh, I said that, it just came to mind, I would have forgot it otherwise. Ken, as I mentioned to you, is a good, solid, uh, born-again Christian. Ken said, uh, Bo, one thing that was disappointing to me is that there were a number, uh, too many, good Christian men who were completely confused and mystified by why God would do this to them when they had good ministries, when they had righteous intent. How could God imprison them? Well, what I instantly said to Ken, and I heard by his chuckle that I just preempted him, is that it's not God that put these men in prison. It's the IRS. You know, it's the it's the, the prosecutors. It's the people who get the incentives, who get promoted, who make money uh, by uh, doing this to their fellow citizens. And maybe, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, probably thought they were right in the Third Reich and the way that uh, the Versailles Treaty was. 
can you imagine how the German people felt when they had no fishing rights, when literally their country was uh, was completely uh, denuded? You got Hitler comes back all of a sudden, uh, the uh, extreme inflation, four trillion marks, used to be four marks to the dollar. It actually went to four trillion marks to the dollar. Now you get a guy who seems to be a uh, a cure, and Germany gets strong. People are proud, and so when they go to war, they think maybe that they're right. Well, uh, a lot of these a lot of these people, Ken said, in prison, think that God has done this to them, and that they are righteous, and it isn't fair. And they are giving up on God. Uh, They are uh, cursing God. They are uh, questioning God. And uh, let me make sure you understand this. I learned this in combat. When I blamed it on God, because I couldn't stand it anymore... When the little girl lost her foot and ankle on a landmine, I just, it was the straw that broke this soldier's back. I couldn't stand it anymore. I had seen a hundred children dead at one place at one time. My mind was plowed up like a field. And this, this one little girl just screamed, why, why, Father, why will you do this to these little children? And you see, uh, God doesn't uh, have patience with everybody, but I think that God uh, has extra patience with some people, and I, I think I'm one of them, because I've heard his voice more than once in my life, and it, I, it, I wasn't being fooled. This was the voice of the Holy Spirit. But it spoke to me and said, the absolute reason, so this is not, this hurts me more than it does you. This is not my war, this is your war. And innocence must suffer that the guilty may be punished. And all of a sudden I realize this is not God doing this. We are doing this. And those people like Rumsfeld and these other people who make a profit off of war and to, to whom war is a business and every good businessman wants business to be better. They are the ones. We are the ones that are causing these tragedies, the maiming and death of children. I don't care too much about adults, but I do about children. And so uh, I understood, well, these men have to understand, and you have to understand, that we are part of a body, and, you know, it's like I've told people about A-teams. 
Uh, I had a, a general one time, and he said, you know, Bo, uh, you don't know how to act as an officer. Now, here I am, a colonel, commander of special forces in Latin America, and I've had years of hand-to-gland combat. I've been decorated more than 60 times for valor under fire, and I got this general who's telling me I don't know how to act as an officer. He says, you seem to think that these sergeants are your friends. And he says, in the Army, we have an officer corps, and there's no fraternization with non-commissioned officers or ORs, other ranks. Now, you see, maybe that's the way it is in his army. And maybe it's the way it was in your army. But in my army, as a captain, I was an A-team leader. I was the brain, if you will, of the detachment. And my intelligence, NCO, was the eyes. And my team sergeant uh, was the tongue. And my medics were the ears. And my communicators were the hearts. I mean, we were all a body. And without the eyes, without the ears, without the heart, what good is the brain? And so we fought. We didn't wear any insignia. But everybody knew that I was the die we. And I knew who the team daddy was, our team sergeant. And I knew who the heavy weapons leader was, Willie Chappelle. And my chief medic, Smitty, we didn't have to pull rank or, or, or defraternize. We were 12 men eating and living, sleeping, living and dying together as one body. Well, as a major, I was a B-team commander. And now I had... A-teams underneath me, and it was the same way. And as a colonel, I was a C-team commander. I had a battalion of special forces under my command, but it was the same way. We're just all part of the, with all these parts. No part is less important than the other parts. And so it is in the Bible, and so it was uh, with Ken Anderson. And so we have to understand God does not do these things to us. Now, let me be clear. You go to James chapter 5, you can get God to intervene. Mother's prayers, I'm sure, brought many sons home safe. I'm one of them. All right. I just I wanted to make sure you kind of understand. I'm sorry if I get emotional or in too much detail. I don't mean to preach at you. But, you know, I have no purpose for this radio program, Freedom Call, other than to make sure you understand 
what's going on, the truth, what you can do about it, what's important. Now, here's something that's important. Well, let me give you something that's not important, but it's news. Rahm Emanuel is now the mayor of Chicago. He had the majority of blacks who voted for him, and Obama is very proud of that. That's what the president says. Now, secondly is there is a minister, only he resigned here just the other day. He is the former justice minister of Libya, and this is why it is important, because he has said outwardly that Muammar Gaddafi, the leader of Libya, personally ordered the Pan Am 103 that was blew up over Lockerbie, Scotland. He ordered that that killed 270 people in 1988. And this guy who's named uh, Mustafa Abdel Jali, J-A-L-I-L, Jalil, Jalil, yeah, because the eyes are all pronounced E's over there. He says, I have proof that Gaddafi gave the order about Lockerbie. Uh, Jalil says, He's quoted in the interview. He says, Abdel Jalil, who stepped down as justice minister to protest the clampdown on anti-government demonstrations, didn't describe the proof. It says that uh, Gaddafi has accepted Libya's responsibility for Pan Am 103. Uh, it, It killed all these people. 259, most of them Americans, and 11 people on the ground that were Scots. And he's paid for the uh, victim's compensation, but he's never admitted that it was his order. Well, now his justice minister says that it was. He says to hide it, Gaddafi did everything in his power to get Al Magrahi back from Scotland. Now, remember that guy? They said he was going to die. And so Great Britain, to seal an oil deal, British Petroleum with Libya, Britain pressures Scotland, who is still under British rule. Scotland is not its own country. If you look, you'll see that. Anyway, England pressured Scotland. Scotland turned this guy, McGrawhee, loose. Now McGrawhee is perfectly in good health and received as a hero when he landed in Tripoli, Libya. Al McGrawhee was granted compassionate release from the Scottish prison in August 2009 on the grounds that he was suffering prostate cancer and would die soon. So, knowing and having a witness against Muammar Gaddafi, this is reason to bring him before the world court. And uh, here's what the uh, minister says uh, in addition. If you went to trial, remember this guy is the former justice minister for Libya, 
There was no question about who did it and why and who ordered it. Anyway, Lisa Gibson, Colorado Springs, Colorado, lost her 20-year-old brother, Ken, in the bombing. She says, quote, I'm not surprised for him to say that Gaddafi is responsible because ultimately we know that. McGrahi's trial was conducted at a special Scottish court set up in the Netherlands after years of diplomatic maneuvering. In Britain, some Lockerbie victims' relatives have questioned his conviction. They argue that insufficient attention was paid to the possibility that the bombing was carried out not by Libyan intelligence, but by Libyan-backed Palestinian terrorists. Well, friends, if Gaddafi ordered this thing, we have someone who needs to be punished. Now, I've told you about Gaddafi, who, back in the... 70s paid enormous amounts of money to U.S. special forces to come to Libya. And if you look at terrorism, we trained Gaddafi's people, but they weren't Libyans just. They came from all over. We trained the people that used the training against us, the United States. And we did it for gold Rolexes with diamonds. And it's a damn shame. Anyway, Gaddafi is, uh, says he will burn the oil facilities if he's forced uh, out of power. Now, it's very interesting because this is something that a lot of Americans have questioned. What about the armed forces? Well, today, a Libyan aircraft crashed after the crew refused to bomb the public. So there is a wild and weird president who orders uh, violence in the form of bombing, and his military crew refuse. And to make damn sure that the plane isn't used by anyone else, they crash it. Now, this is nationalistic. This is heroism, if you ask me. And uh, who is going to be hurt if Gaddafi uh, lights up? Uh, because he has a tremendous amount of petroleum that goes to Europe. And so, be very interesting. By the way, it was admitted today that we don't know what's going to happen, but it is possible that Social Security checks will not be printed and distributed if the government comes to a shutdown. Now, it means something to a lot of Americans who just the only income they have is Social Security. And 14.3 is the ceiling. We have less than 20 days before we reach that ceiling unless Congress either caves in and goes ahead and writes Obama a blank check. It very well could be that the government... I've been there when it did... It only did for a day or so 
But for a day or so, hey, people didn't go to work in the executive branch. Congress wasn't there in the Capitol building. All right, stay with American Voice for the latest on all of this. I'll be back with you tomorrow, and I've got a lot of things that I haven't got to, but I'll get to them tomorrow. Think about the things we talked about today. All right, God bless you. Stay with American Voice Radio. Silver wings upon their chest. These are men, America's best. One hundred men will test today, but only three win the Green Beret. Train to live off nature's land, trained in combat hand to hand.
mention that um, I became a director, one of the directors of the study back in 2007 as the Pacific director. So a lot of the information that I'm giving you, um, I helped to put together. So since 1954, the rates of diseases in the U.S. have gone up approximately 4,000%. Now you remember <clears throat> at the Rockefellers in the beginning of 1940, they started implementing the petrochemical fertilizers under the guise that it would speed up farming for the farmers and they would have to spend less time shoveling doo-doo. But what they didn't tell anybody was the manure was rich in sulfur. But in 1954, the chemical fertilizers became mandated by the U.S. government. And the fertilizer is like ammonia nitride and ammonium nitrate and the sulfates, which lack bioavailability, apparently broke the sulfur cycle. And this has contributed to the decline of our health, our wealth, our mental acuity, the quality of life. And we believe when the study is completed, it will clearly demonstrate a connection between the lack of sulfur and the inability of cells to regenerate in a healthy manner. Linus Pauling said that all modern diseases can be attributed to a mineral deficiency. And though Pauling is best known for his work with vitamin C, that statement that he made was about minerals. And most researchers say that sulfur is one of the most important of the trace minerals, maybe the fourth to the sixth most important. Why? Because the sulfur enables the transport of oxygen across the cell membranes, and oxygen is necessary for healthy cellular regeneration in mammals. Plants, on the other hand, require carbon dioxide for cell regeneration. But the plants can store sulfur while humans cannot. I mean, we can eliminate carbon dioxide and the plants can eliminate oxygen. So the sulfur cycle is symbiotic and vital for life as we know it. So when many health professionals are asked about sulfur, they, they, they act as if they're reading from a cue card. We get all the sulfur we need from the food we eat. Well, 
That was true until the Rockefellers decided to change the way we grow our food and what we feed our crops. Back in 1920, a guy named Otto Warburg started to do a study of cancer in men and in plants. And in 1931, the guy got a Nobel Prize for that because he proved that cancer in humans is anaerobic, meaning cellular metabolism without oxygen. So cancer in plants is linked to too much intracellular oxygen or aerobic metabolism. So the use of a gas that we are intended to eliminate for cellular regeneration is not a healthy program for plants or for humans. So the studies, initial research of organic sulfur had the participants go to the store to buy MSM, which is methyl sulfonylmethane. And what was hoped to be observed did not coincide with what the literature said about MSM, except for gastrointestinal improvements, the initial group had very little improvement. So when an article was found about the deadly additives found in MSM, the anti-caking additives, it was realized why the early participants were not reporting any health improvements. It was because the additives benefit only the packaging industry and our health is a lesser concern to them. So sulfur, having an atomic number of 16, is known to bond with almost every other mineral. And sulfur has demonstrated the ability to detoxify heavy metals in conjunction with the transport of oxygen across the cell membrane, thus allowing regeneration. <clears throat> Sulfur is also the key player as a precursor for the utilization of amino acids, which are the body's building blocks. And of all the amino acids, some 70% are sulfur-based. So this detoxification cannot happen with MSM that contains anti-caking ingredients because the, the anti-caking ingredients, the excipients, block the bioavailability of sulfur to the cell. And the same thing happens when organic sulfur is released into the ocean 
or evaporates and falls with the rain, that sulfur is bound up by chemical fertilizers as sulfites and sulfates. Well, it soon became clear that the study had to find a pure, uncontaminated form of MSM. And after an incredible amount of research, it was found in the form of organic sulfur, which started out as coarse crystal flakes, which were fresh from the precipitator and had no further processing. So the organic sulfur supplied to the members of the study, and then they are followed with photographs of their faces in an effort to observe the cellular regeneration they experience. So this photographic follow-up, which became one of the newest aspects of the study, is too recent in its implementation to be able to share the results. But the reports on health and diet and medication has been very interesting. So as in the beginning of the study, many of the participants had been taking MSM in tablet or capsule form for many years. But our efforts to find a pure form was worth the effort as the responses have clearly indicated. <clears throat> so what we've been seeing is cellular regeneration in the face photographs of our study participants. But it takes like seven years to regenerate all the cells in the body when the cells are healthy. If the cells are damaged from trauma or chemical process, they cannot regenerate unless the ability to transport oxygen across the cell membrane is functioning because oxygen is a large molecule. So nutrient uptake is also improved when the cell membrane becomes pliable and healthy. So obviously the purity of the sulfur is a very important factor. Now, old scar tissue and various types of fibroids have been reported to resolve, and this is an example of cellular regeneration in cells that have been scarred and unable to regenerate over the years following the trauma. <clears throat> Me personally, when I foolishly had arthroscopic surgery on one of my knees after blowing it out on a basketball court when I was <laughs> when I was 72 I think or 73 I could not bend my knee fully I didn't have full range of motion and just from taking sulfur on a daily basis twice a day Within the three years, uh, I now have full range of motion in that knee where I never had it before. <clears throat> so the skin now 
is the largest organ in the body. And it's like a huge kidney or a huge lung. And sulfur is known as the beauty mineral. And what we really are saying is that the skin is more beautiful if its cells are able to regenerate. So the skin is the backup for the liver. And if someone is in liver distress, it shows it in the cells of their face and the skin. So when the internal filters are working really well, the extracellular fluids are not polluted and the immune system is allowed to protect the body from infection. While lab and clinical data have not been made available from the doctors or the clinics who have seen our study members, but we can report many following examples of cellular regeneration. So let's start with cancer. Cancer is an anaerobic condition by definition. That means there's no oxygen in the body because cancer cells can't live in oxygen. So the study members that had cancer and used chemotherapy also took 30 grams of sulfur during the chemotherapy and they had no side effects. There was no hair loss, there was no nausea, there was no diarrhea. There was, however, a surprisingly greater reduction of cancer cell count as reported by their oncologist. So the lymphoma have been responding to organic sulfur, both in decreased pain and in decreased tumor size. With regard to arthritis, organic sulfur by comparison to commercially available MSM is a remarkable mineral for arthritis and produces the effects which have been reported. So those who've been taking organic sulfur reported much less pain, increased mobility, and the straightening of finger joints along with the resolution of internal scar tissue around the joint. People with osteoarthritis have been reported to respond to the ingestion of organic sulfur. And this can be observed in old photographs of relatives prior to 1960, where most people were not bent over prior to historical breakdown of the sulfur cycle through the petrochemical fertilizer use. With regard to osteoporosis, that has also been addressed though the numbers are too few to be significant. But the bone density tests are demonstrating the reversal of bone thinning or loss of bone density. Skin conditions like acne, psoriasis, rosacea, toenail fungus, burns, liver spots, and disorders associated with lupus, gone. You see, sulfur can be used internally and externally. 
<clears throat> but the cells which demonstrate the problem originate from the endothelial layer of the skin, which is better addressed by internal use. <clears throat> and it should be taken twice a day, 12 hours apart, because the oxygen leaves the body in 12 hours. Now, with regard to cardiovascular problems, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, the results, which were most startling, was the number of open-heart procedures that had been scheduled but were subsequently canceled when the individual's EKG returned to normal. And this happened in as little as six weeks of taking organic sulfur. And there have been at least 100 cases reported. And our blood vessels regenerate. And we believe that those canceled surgical procedures could be an example of such regression. And the group has also seen the reduction of scar tissue, as I mentioned, high blood pressure, and the breakdown of calcium plaque in the arteries. So we believe organic sulfur would be likely to benefit people with Alzheimer's as well. Diabetes has helped because sulfur is necessary in the production of insulin, as well as those sulfur-based amino acids necessary for the metabolism of carbohydrates. Now, that's not to say that it will reverse type 1 diabetes, but it will decrease the amount of insulin that is necessary to be taken. With regard to gastrointestinal disorders, including acid indigestion, GERD, irritable bowel syndrome, leaky gut, chronic constipation, all that has been addressed with the dosage of organic sulfur at one rounded teaspoon per 100 pounds of body weight twice a day. Other digestive disorders like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease have not been observed yet, but we feel that those symptoms found in the literature will be alleviated with the use of sulfur. Uh, one of our members regenerated his liver after suffering 25 years from hepatitis C after 15 months of taking two tablespoons of organic sulfur twice a day. I mean, it seems like a lot, but to fix your liver without surgery, without transplants? Now, parasites find that the lining of the stomach and the intestines become too pliable or too slippery to hang on to. So the sulfur, because it creates that slipperiness, eliminates parasites. Migraine headaches and regular headaches, gone. ADD, ADHD, hyperactivity, depression, mood swings, greatly relieved with the use of organic sulfur. Why? 
because the sulfur acts as a stabilizer or a mood elevator and relaxes the nervous system. I mean, we've got people that talk about getting off of antidepressants and Ritalin with as little as three days of starting to take the organic sulfur. And those who had been on antidepressants for a long time took a little bit longer. But it enabled the ability of the body to produce its own glutathione. And that is the reason. Respiratory problems are just as impressive when the study members who are suffering from lung dysfunction, like allergies, asthma, emphysema, and those with more serious conditions stop depending upon the bottled oxygen they've been carrying around in spite of the fact that they might have continued to smoke. Now, me, what hooked me because I originally thought this was crapola. You know, I just thought it was just another magic bullet from being on the radio for so long, you know, and hearing about all these cures and all this the stuff, you know, that I always got involved in stuff to see and I would expose it. And when I heard about the organic sulfur being the, the panacea to just about everything, I think it was just another magic bullet. So I had it sent to me. When the winds in Hawaii come from the south, they're called Kona winds. Because Kona, the town Kona, is on the southernmost part of the Hawaiian island. Well, the winds, colony winds are blown by the trade winds that blow the, the fumes from the active volcano on the island of Hawaii, which is the southernmost island. When we had colony winds, I could not breathe. I had such bad asthma. So... I get the sulfur on a Wednesday. I take it Wednesday night. I take it Thursday twice. I take it Friday twice. I take it Saturday morning. I go down and do my radio show. And the people after me, the husband and wife that do the show after mine, the wife has really bad asthma. And she says to me, how is your asthma with the Kona winds? Because she was suffering. And with a straight face, I said, there's Kona winds. That was it. Three days. No more asthma. It's been eight, nine years already. And I don't have a problem breathing. Even when there's Kona winds. Even when there's no winds. It's amazing. Now, glaucoma has been reported as well. And it appears there's regeneration of the cells of the drainage system of the trabecular meshwork at the inner base of the iris. So the people that suffered from increased intraocular pressure found that the drops they used to control their eye pressure often inhibited their ability to drive or read. When they use sulfur, internally and as a spray in the eye, 
the sulfur never demonstrated any corneal disturbance. And as far as the eyes, you take a teaspoonful, you put it in four ounces of water, shake it up and dissolve it, put it in a spray bottle. And from time to time, you know, sometimes your eyes get tired or they get sticky or they, they just get weird. And that happens to me too. So I just reach down under my, under my dress, uh, not my dress, but my, my night table next to my bed. And I have a spray bottle and I do a couple of sprays in my eyes. And within 10 seconds, I don't have any pressure in my eyes anymore and everything is back to normal. Now, with regard to your hair, a lot of people with gray and white hair experience gradual return back to their natural color. And the natural color that gradually returns to the nape of the neck indicates that the regeneration of the pigment glands at the base of the hair follicle is active. And then there's the reversal of hair loss as well being reported by a lot of people. And as far as the teeth and the gums are concerned, <clears throat> the power of oxygen can be best demonstrated in its ability to eradicate gum disease. Because the organic sulfur, when it's used as an additive to toothpaste or tooth powder, eliminates the plaque buildup on the teeth, but more importantly, it appears to regenerate the gums and tighten the previously loose teeth. What's really interesting about the gums, there was a, a woman that hated the taste of the sulfur because you get used to it, it's kind of bitter. And uh, so she, she used to brush her teeth with it, and within three weeks, it got rid of her gum disease. So the cellular regeneration appears to be closely tied to the body's ability to transport oxygen across the cell membrane. And as I mentioned earlier, this is the primary function of organic sulfur. So if you study the periodic table of elements, you will find sulfur, selenium, and tellurium as being the only three oxygen-transporting minerals. And then the further studies show that chlorine and fluorine are detrimental to the oxygen transport. Yet, those elements have been added to make our teeth healthier and our water more pure or free from bacterial infestation. And those elements are highly poisonous at higher concentrations, and they block the uptake of both oxygen and sulfur. So this is why if you're drinking city tap water, that's not a good idea because it may inhibit the benefits of the sulfur. We believe that a widespread deficiency in the mineral sulfur may be responsible for the great increase in disease in the U.S. Healthier cellular metabolism is the basis for cellular regeneration of all the cells. This is the bottom line for the human body. 
without intracellular oxygen, we begin to degenerate long before our biological clock runs out. We begin life as a single cell. From that one cell, we have made and regenerated all the cells of our body in a healthy manner, unless that regeneration is stymied by the food that we eat. So, like I said earlier, since 1954, due to the mandating of the petrochemical fertilizers, our food supply has been devoid of sulfur. Unfortunately, our nation is not about to change that because there's too much profit being made from the chemicals, which involve the commercial agribusiness, medicine, insurance, as well as genetic and designer foods. But we can regenerate our internal sulfur cycle with organic sulfur, provided that the sulfur compound has not suffered the same indignities of science that our food supply has and continues to suffer from. So Finland, which was alarmed over the increasing disease rate of its population, took a hard look at the chemical fertilizers and banned all of them, fearing the levels of cadmium. So they were not aware of the sulfur connection. Well, when they banned that, they became a leading supplier of bio-friendly or completely organic foods in Europe. And they've also seen their disease rates drop to one-tenth of the 1985 levels. In 1985, the U.S. was at the same marked disease level as Finland. So why are we not following suit and banning all chemical fertilizers? Well, it feels that the epidemiology of all the countries using chemical fertilizers have an increase in disease, while those that use organically-based fertilizing methods do not. So why don't we do that? Because in God we trust, all others take cash. So organic sulfur is a food. It's not a drug. It's not stored in the body, and it's considered to be non-toxic. So there were attempts to kill mice and rats, and Oregon State death row inmates that failed to reach a toxic level, even at 200 grams or almost a half a pound a day. Well, for me, like I said, being on the radio since 1981, I had a guest on my show that enticed me with a magic bullet, telling me that his 16-year-old son was sent home to die with testicular cancer. And at the time the guy was on my show, he told me his son was 30 years old. <laughs> yeah, right. So would would you believe that? No, you wouldn't. I didn't either. It was. And like I said, being an exposure of magic bullets, I told them to send me the product. And like I said, my husband disappeared in three days, has come not come back in nine years. And then I told you about the, the thing with the arthroscopic surgery on my knee and the scar tissue where I lost full range of motion. And then three years later, boom, full range of motion. 
Then a friend of my daughter that I've known since birth had a, a real heavy accident. She's in her mid-20s, and she fell off a horse and really messed up one of her legs. And she came here to visit her father and my daughter. And because she trusted me, she started taking the sulfur while her leg was still bandaged and in the splint. And in less than two weeks, no more swelling, the bandaging and the splint came off, and the pain was gone. So all in all, of the 4,000-plus people I've introduced to sulfur, no one has ever returned it, and they all almost continue to use it, and each day new people arise. And people that are taking supplements and people that are taking medications gradually only take the sulfur now. So despite skepticism, people, there are solutions out there. There are things that work. There are things that will help you. There are things that will get you well. There are things that will take away a lot of the agonizing symptoms that you have. You just have to have a little bit of faith. And if you want to see more, if you want to know more, I, I encourage you to go to my website, which is www.healthtalkhawaii.com and click on products and you can read all about it. And if you feel like you like, you want to, you can order it. <clears throat> I want to talk about something that just happened that really ticked me off. Our wonderful president, who before he ran for president said that he would fight to label GMOs, recently signed a bill, a spending bill into law that included language that has really ticked off a lot of people because the words to aptly describe it would be the Monsanto Protection Act. Seriously. <clears throat> and there's some things you need to know about this bill that and, and it's going to get you, I hope it gets you as upset as it got me. The Monsanto Protection Act and the spending bill effectively bars the federal courts from, e from being able to stop the sale or planting of controversial genetically modified or genetically engineered seeds, no matter what health issues could arise in the future. And the advent of genetically modified seeds, which has been driven by Monsanto and their exploding use in farms across America, came on fast and has proved a huge boon for their profits. But many anti-GMO folks are arguing there's not been enough study into the potential health risks of this new class of crap, I mean crop. So now it appears that even if those studies were completed, 
and they end up revealing severe adverse health effects related to the consumption of GMOs, the courts will have no ability to stop the spread of the seeds and the crops that they bear. And this is no different than what President Bush did back in the 90s when he gave the pharmaceutical industry the right never to be sued if somebody had an adverse effect or died from taking prescription drugs. And this provisions language was apparently written in collusion with Monsanto. The lawmakers and the companies working together to craft the legislation is not a rare occurrence in this day and age. Senator Roy Blunt, a Republican from Missouri, actually worked with Monsanto on the provision that would allow them to keep selling seeds, which can then go on to be planted, even if it's found to be harmful to consumers. It's just another example of corporations bending Congress to their will and it's one that could have dire risks for public health in America. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, that guy Blunt, nah, he only took $68,000 from Monsanto as campaign contributions. Now, a lot of members of Congress were unaware that the Monsanto Protection Act even existed within the bill that they were voting on. Because the H.R. 933 bill was a spending bill aimed at averting a government shutdown and ensuring that the federal government would continue to be able to pay its bills. But the Center for Food Safety maintains that many Democrats in Congress were not even aware that the provision was in the legislation. So in this hidden backroom deal, Senator Barbara Milusky turned her back on consumers, environmental and farmer protection in favor of corporate welfare for biotech companies like Monsanto. And this guy, Andrew Kimbrell, the executive director of the Center for Food Safety said, this abuse of power is not the kind of leadership the public has come to expect from Senator Mikulski or the Democratic majority in the Senate. In the Senate, and Obama did absolutely nothing to stop it, because last Tuesday he signed that bill, while the rest of the nation was fixated on gay marriages. And as the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral, oral arguments concerning California's Proposition 8, and just because most of the nation and the media were paying attention to gay marriage doesn't mean that others were not doing their best to express their opposition to Monsanto's Protection Act. In fact, more than 250,000 voters signed a petition opposing the provision. And food democracy now protesters even took their fight straight to Obama, protesting in front of the White House against that section of the bill, and he signed it anyway. 
So what it does, it sets a terrible precedent. And though it will only remain in effect for six months until the government finds another way to fund its operation, the message it sends is that corporations can get around consumer safety protections if they get Congress on their side. Furthermore, it sets a a precedent that suggests that court challenges are a privilege and not a right. So anytime you tweak with the ability of the public to seek redress from the courts, you create a huge risk. And the bottom line on all of this, in God we trust, all of us pay cash. And Obama is the biggest lying sack of shit that ever hit the face of the earth, especially when the guy says that he will push for the labeling of GMOs. So instead of doing that, yeah, guess what he does? He gives them the right to kill each and every one of us and make us sick. You know that Holland, that the Dutch parliament just signed a bill banning and forbidding any GMOs to be planted in any country in which they are affiliated in. And most of the countries outside the U.S. have banned GMOs, but not here, because here, money talks. Everybody else walks. So there's another thing that's, oh, yeah, And one thing you should know if you're eating GMOs, organic sulfur removes the toxins. Seriously. There's, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the Gardasil vaccine. And a lot of kids, young and teenagers, have been maimed and hospitalized, injured, paralyzed by the HPV vaccine than any other category of vaccine intervention. And now the American College of Pediatricians, which is a strong pro-vaccine group, is sounding the alarm over the toxicity of Gardasil. And what they're saying on their website is that the Gardasil vaccine could be associated with the very rare but serious condition of premature ovarian failure. So one of the crimes against the kids that's carried out by the vaccine industry is the ongoing use of chemical adjuvants in vaccines. And these chemicals, these toxic chemicals, include aluminum, monosodium glutamate, and polysorbate 80, and they are intentionally added to the vaccines in a misguided effort to try to make the vaccines produce an inflammatory response in vaccine victims. But the same toxic chemicals can cause, in many kids, extreme neurological inflammatory responses that lead to precisely the kind of permanent damage 
that gets diagnosed as autism spectrum disorder among other neurological side effects. And if society routinely injects these poisons into kids, do not be surprised when some percentage of those little kids are damaged by the poisons. The American College of Pediatricians says that the potential mechanisms of action have been postulated based on autoimmune associations with the aluminum adjuvant used and previously documented ovarian toxicity in rats from another component, polysorbate 80. In other words, the science already knows about the mechanisms of potential harm caused by those ingredients. It's not a mystery. It's not even debatable that when you inject children with aluminum and mercury and MSG and formaldehyde and polysorbate 80, it will inevitably cause severe damage in those children. Yet, California, mandatory flu shots. Seriously, it's terrible. So according to the American College of Pediatricians, 88% of adverse event reports involving ovarian failure have, failure have been associated with one vaccine, Gardasil. So keep in mind that just because the doctors don't even realize Gardasil can cause ovarian failure, the vast majority of ovarian failure cases are never reported to the CDC's Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System database. So it's feasible that the real number of ovarian failure cases caused by Gardasil could be up to 100 times the reported number or as many as 20,000 cases across America in the last 10 years. Look, you, you know that virtually every bit of science, quote unquote, carried out by the vaccine industry is fraudulent science. The Gardasil trials are no different. They put aluminum and polysorbate 80 into the placebo injections, making sure that both the placebo group and the treatment group experience the same number of toxic side effects canceling each other out. And from this, the fraudulent researchers can say the clinical trial shows Gardasol to be safe while causing no increase in adverse effects. <laughs> you understand the vaccine industry never conducts legitimate science that compares, for example, the, in the injections of aluminum and polysorbate versus injections of nothing but saline solution. If that trial were carried out, it would reveal the serious long-term toxicity caused by aluminum and polysorbate 80, not to mention mercury, MSG, formaldehyde, and the other toxic crap that's deliberately added to the vaccine. You see, don't you understand? The design of those trials is not an accident. 
the vaccine industry routinely and systematically designs the clinical trials to conceal the evidence of harm caused by the vaccine. Time and time again, the vaccine industry turns to fraudulent science to cover up the truth. I mean, that guy, William Thompson, the whistleblower, the CDC scientist, knew over 10 years ago that childhood vaccinations caused an increase in autism in African-American boys. And Thompson and other CDC scientists actively conspired to alter the study data in order to erase any correlation. And two years ago, the guy publicly admitted to taking part in that scientific fraud. So this entire mainstream media, without exception, blackballed the story and refused to report it. And no one in Congress ever called Thompson to testify about the CDC's vaccine fraud. In 2010, two Merck virologists filed a false claims act with the U.S. government saying that they were ordered by Merck to commit scientific fraud by spiking antibody samples with animal antibodies. And this was done to defraud the FDA into thinking that the MMR vaccines work to prevent disease when in reality they didn't do crap. I mean, Merck is the worst. They know it. Merck spiked the blood test with animal antibodies in order to artificially inflate, uh, inflate the appearance of immune system antibodies when they were doing their mumps vaccine. Then they used the falsified results to swindle the U.S. government out of hundreds of millions of dollars for a vaccine that doesn't do anything. And their vaccine fraud actually contributed to the continuation of mumps across America, causing more kids to become infected with mumps. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And now, six years after the filing of the False Claims Act, describing the systematic vaccine fraud at Merck, there isn't even a single mainstream media outlet that bothered to honestly investigate this story. That's because... The vaccine industry, the CDC, and the mainstream media are all deliberately pushing an epidemic of vaccine violence against the little kids. And this violence against children is not merely ignored, but it's condoned by the CDC, the drug companies, the doctors, the hospitals, the universities, the media outlets, and even our politicians. So the systematic Maiming of children has become the mantra of modern medicine where countless little kids now suffer from the medical dictatorship that demands the sacrificial destruction of children in order to appease the profit gods of the pharmaceutical industry. So we hear about this. Gardasil, bad. All this crap in it, bad. Terrible. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So now there's an article that came out recently in the New York Times. And it says, a vaccine introduced a decade ago to combat the sexually transmitted transmitted virus that causes cervical cancer has already reduced the virus's prevalence in teenage girls 
by almost two-thirds, the federal researchers said, even for women in their early 20s, a group of lower vaccination rates, the most dangerous strains of the human papillomavirus, or HPV, have still been reduced by more than a third. So you got mainstream media, the New York Times saying, HPV vaccine is a success. And then you got other non-mainstream saying, do not touch it with a 10-foot pole, man. Your life depends upon it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's, it's, so you got mainstream media says it's good. You got the independent people that are not on the take, that are not controlled by the pharmaceutical industry, that says stay away, stay away, stay away. So what do you do? As the little kids continue to be maimed and murdered, the vaccinations, the conspiracy of silence across every institution in America reveals what can only be called a modern-day medical holocaust. Yet those who are the most seriously injured by the vaccines are so damaged they can't even speak up for themselves anymore. Who is going to speak up for them if not us? And if science is whatever we are told it is by the health authorities, but it cannot be questioned and it can't be challenged and it can't even be validated by independent scientists. Is it really science at all? Or is it just plain old corruption? If you've got some problems, if you have health issues, if you have things in your body, going to a doctor, you don't feel right, medications, you do whatever, sulfur is natural. I used to take, I'm 77. I'm in two softball leagues. I swim a thousand meters a couple of days a week. I hike mountains. I do all kinds of stuff. I teach women self-defense classes. I'm a very active guy. Years ago, I took drugs for prostate. I took I took drugs to improve my health. I took spirulina. I took chlorella. I took all this stuff. Right? Then I got them. Then I got hooked on sulfur. Sulfur is the only thing I take. Every once in a while, I'll take a hit of vitamin B12, but I don't know why I do that, because the sulfur creates vitamin B12 in the body by itself. You have to take responsibility for you. I can't do it. The doctors aren't going to do it. They just want your money. The government won't do it because they protect Monsanto and they protect the drug industry by making them free from any kind of litigation. You have to make a stand for yourself. You have to not follow the mainstream regimen. It's the only way you're gonna survive. 
I, I, I don't I can't I can't really say it any other way. So I'm just trying to give you information. You know, it's like in my book, A Sane Diet for an Insane World, the last chapter is called At the Waterhole. All I can do is lead you to the waterhole. I can't make you drink the water. That's got to come from you. Anyway, there's going to be more stuff coming up in the future, and I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I'm not making this stuff up but you're never going to read about it in the paper. The only thing you're going to read about in the newspaper is like the New York Times saying, yeah, Gardasil is good. Every child, every... If the human papillomavirus affects women, why are they giving it to little boys? Why? To make money. No other reason. Anyway, I could go on for hours. <laughs> but unfortunately, I only have seconds. So I'll let George Harrison do his thing, and uh, I'll catch you guys all next week. Aloha. their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Alfred Adisk, and this is the American Independence Hour for Tuesday, 23rd day of February, year of our Lord, 2016. I am, as always, a man made in God's image, as per Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights, as per the Declaration of Independence, second sentence, which says, uh, most of you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's me. I'm one of those men. <clears throat> and there's another kind of men out there, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, third point is I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas, a member state of the perpetual union style, the United States of America, as seen in the Articles of Confederation. And some of you might think it's a little foolish to refer to the Articles of Confederation. Uh, a lot of people would say, well, that's old. That's not, oh, no, no, it's still part of the law. You can find the organic law of the United States of America written by Congress, right? described and essentially defined by Congress in the Revised Statutes of 1875. And they say the organic law of the United States of America consists of one, Declaration of Independence, two, Articles of Confederation, three, Northwest Territorial Ordinance, and four, the Constitution of the United States. Everybody dances around in this country talking about, oh, the Constitution, the Constitution as if it were the Ten Commandments that came down off the mountain with Moses. The Constitution is one of four documents that have essentially equal legal force. 
And we have been encouraged to believe only in the Constitution. And the truth is, you can get to the other three documents, and if you know what you're doing, you can apply them to good effect, in my opinion. Um, I can't... If you visit my blog at adask, A-D-A-S-K, dot wordpress, dot com, and there's a search engine up in, up in the upper right-hand corner where you can search the blog. And there's also in the categories, a list of categories. Look for organic law or organic law of the United States of America. But if you search for organic law or look in the list of categories, I think it's under organic law also under the list of categories. It'll take you to an article that will tell you where you can see this for yourself. Revised Statutes, 1875, if I recall correctly. It might be 1873, but I think it's 1875. It'll give you the links. You can go there. You can see it. You can see the collection of documents. And at no point does Congress in 1875, which incidentally is after the 14th Amendment was ratified, at no point do they suggest that the Constitution has wiped out the previous three documents. Declaration of Independence is still part of the law if you know how to get to it. So is so are the Articles of Confederation. So are so are the uh, the Northwest Territorial Ordinance. Not just the Constitution. The other three documents are valid, and if you understand that, it can be. I believe it can be useful and empowering. Our co-host is Frank Stefan. Frank is here again tonight. I assume he's here. I am Frank. Mm-hmm. I thought so. Because I am, and I have to... an answer to those people out there wondering, well, how do I get to those other documents? Okay. The Ninth Amendment. Yeah, exactly. That's how you can lay your claim on them. You, you know, can because... lay your claim to the rights, the God-given, unalienable rights declared in the Declaration of Independence. You, those, you can claim them under the Ninth Amendment, which says what, Frank? Well, if we uh, didn't name oh, the right here, oh, you, know. oh, you don't you don't have a copy where you can read it. Right. No, but uh-huh. let's see how close I can get from my feeble memory. Is well, uh, you know, you're, if you don't get it exactly right, your pay is going to be reduced. You understand that, don't you? Yeah. Well, you know, there are advantages to poverty. <laughs> there's only Actually, some, there are. there's only so many threats, you know, that people can make. Uh, money. When there's comes... actually some big advantages. There's at least one big advantage to poverty. We'll talk about that in a moment, maybe. Yeah, but what do you suppose the Ninth Amendment says? And well, by now, you found a copy. You know, you in, should... the, in these amendments here, if we if we didn't mention some right that you already have, you still have it. Yeah, that's exactly right. It says it actually says the the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Now, I mean, you, see, you don't just get to claim those rights that are referenced in the Constitution. You claim other rights, and the Ninth Amendment opens the door to that claim. And if you've got a Declaration of Independence that says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that means they can't be challenged. Don't need proof. This is just it. This, this is the, this is that all men are created equal. That they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. We got these rights directly from God, and we can claim the rights declared in the Declaration of Independence by means of saying, "I'm one of the people of one of the states of the Union." I'm making a claim under the Ninth Amendment. 
for my God-given unalienable rights. Well, and and they also mention blessings, which is obviously from God, you know, that, that can't be questioned. And also, you know, I think the Ninth Amendment is evidence of what you were just talking about, that, look, the Constitution is not the only document, the, the you know, fundamental document of this nation. Organic law. It's not the only instance of organic law. It's one of four that comprise the organic law of the United States of America. And this is what Congress says. And I think it, it can be argued that by adding the Ninth Amendment, they recognized that and gave you a, a, a way to access those other documents. How do you, what, what sort of little dance do you have to do to make a claim under the Ninth Amendment? Well, I don't know. Well, you go back and you look, you can do a search for preamble to the Bill of Rights. Okay. And you draw that and you'll find a document that says the the, uh, conventions of a number of the states, and they had to mean states of the Union, because that's the, this is, they they drafted the Constitution, it had been approved uh, by the people in 1788, and in 1789, the people, they sent out a list of at least 13 amendments that were proposed to be added to the Constitution. And the cover letter to that to those amendments has come to be called the preamble to the Bill of Rights, and that's not me making it up. It's not Patriot. You can find this on .gov websites, right? And that cover letter says, it explains the purpose as envisioned by the Congress of the United States when they sent out the first list of amendments to the states to be ratified by the people of the states, and uh, that that document says, in part, it's, it's short little document, basically, but the first major con- uh, paragraph says, the conventions of a number of the states, that has to be states of the union, and that's important. If it's true, the idea that we advocate on this program on a regular basis, that they have foisted off a second set of territorial states of the United States, not states of the Union. The Union is the United States of America as declared in the Articles of Confederation. All right? For those states, if you identify yourself as one of the people of a state of the Union, then you're in the ballpark for making a claim here. It says the conventions of a number of the states, states of the Union, having at the time of their adopting the Constitution, Express the desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added and as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the beneficent ends of its institution. Now, they go on and there's more in there, but they're telling us, they're telling us that the purpose of the first ten amendments. They sent out a list of at least 13, and the states ratified ten of them. Those ten became our Bill of Rights. But they're telling, they're telling us, Congress is telling us that the purpose of the first ten, what became the first ten amendments, the purpose is to prevent misconstruction or abuse of the powers of the Constitution. 
Who can, who has powers under the Constitution? Government people. Which government? Well, <laughs> I guess, uh, well, under that, it would be the... Uh, federal. Well, the yeah, of course, the federal government. But then again, you could say, well, which federal government? Well, you can say federal or national. You can play that game. But we're not talking about we're not talking about local government. We're not talking about state government. All right, we're talking about this applies. This is intended to protect us from abuse. Uh, the first ten amendments are expressly intended to prevent misconstruction or abuse of the powers of the Constitution by federal. Officers like the president, vice president, senators, congressmen, Supreme Court, federal judges, bureaucratic uh, officials, employees of the government, of the federal government. The first 10 amendments are intended to protect you if you're one of the members of one of the states of the union. It's intended to protect the states of the union and the people they're in against abuse of powers by the federal government. Man, that's powerful. Uh, if you can understand this properly, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, scientist, but you do have to understand it. You don't just pick it up the first time you hear about it. You have to grab it, hang on to it, think about it for a while, roll it around the back of your mind until all of a sudden you say, hey, wait a second, that makes sense. The first ten amendments are intended, their, their primary purpose, as stated by Congress, said to vote for these, vote against them, whatever, but they're intended to protect you people in the states of the union against abuse of powers that are provided to individuals working for the federal government, officers, officials, employees. I don't have any powers under the Constitution. Right? I can't abuse. I can't misconstrue or abuse the powers of the Constitution because I don't have any. But if the government steps out beyond Article One which limits the powers of the federal government in relationship to the states of the union, if they exceed those limited powers and you are in a state of the union, not a state of the United States, not a territory, not a district like Washington, D.C., probably not even a district like the Northern District of Texas, which is a federal district that is used by the federal courts, are you within the borders of the state of Texas or the state of Oregon? And if you can explain that properly and make it stick, then I believe you have standing to make your claim under the Ninth Amendment for one thing. And you have standing to claim the rights under the Declaration of Independence and whatever other rights you can find or, and support. That Ninth Amendment will back up those claims if they're reasonable. Um, but it is intended specifically to protect you from the federal government. Now, how does the government get around this? How do they get around Article 1 of the Constitution, which declares the limited powers of the federal government in relationship to the states of the Union? Well, I believe, like you, that they have created district states or territorial states. Mm -hmm. Or administrative you know. districts and the rest of that. They've got something. There is, I don't have it right here in front of me. I think it's remember if it's title 18 and it might not be but there is a section that lists the states of the United States and there's at least 51 of them the 
because it includes Washington, D.C., which tells us something right off the bat. Yeah, that ain't a state. That's not a state of the Union. It might be a kind of you know, state. What's it's funny, not a state of the Union. You ever play the that? states of the United States are not the states of the United States of America. You ever play that Two game? Sets. You ever play that game, okay, which of these does not belong? <laughs> yeah. yeah you I know, and you look and you go, well, now, wait a minute. These are all states, and this is a district. Which one exactly. doesn't belong? But then yeah. again, if you look at it and you go, well, that's only because they're just saying this is the District of Columbia. They're not just—they're just not saying this is the District of Oregon, the District of Texas, the District of whatever. They can leave that out. They don't have to. They could call it Columbia. You know, uh, oh, Columbia. Well, what? Yeah, that's actually a good point. I get what you're saying. I, I see what you're saying. Just because Instead they of... don't tell us doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. Because if they say there's 51 states and one of them's a district, uh, I got to think they're all districts. Well, what I have to think is this. I, they've given us a list of 51 states. And while we can speculate as to whether these are actually administrative territories, states of the United States as opposed to states of the United States of America... The one thing, I can't necessarily tell you exactly what they are. I have my suspicions. I think I know what they are. I think I can make the argument, or I can make raise the argument in court <laughs> and at least embarrass them if they try to say, oh, you're crazy. That, that, that's not something. Eh, maybe not. Maybe I'm not crazy. Um, where was I going with this? The point is, under the Articles of Confederation, which created the Perpetual Union, Okay, and it expressly declares the union to be perpetual. And why is that important? It means the union has to be here today, and we see evidence of it in the preamble to the Constitution. They say, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, they're making the union which already existed which was called the United States of America. They're making that union more perfect by creating a new entity called the United States that would have territories. There are no territories in the union. There's no districts in the union. There's no proviso in the Articles of Confederation which created the union for districts. There's no proviso for territories. And it's one of the reasons why they felt compelled to create this new appendage that they called United States. It provided a venue where the territories could exist. It provided a venue for districts, like the District of Columbia. There's no proviso for the District of Columbia in the Articles of Confederation, yeah, which means... Or, or the which, Northern District of Texas. Or, that's exactly you know, right. Or any of these other districts that's right. set up. The only thing they've got is the states of the Union. Um, well, I don't know where I lost... You know, these ideas, they come and they go, but... Uh, when we see a list of 51 states... I think it's Title 18, but I could be wrong. I'll have to look that up and try to get it for sure for for one of the next for one of the next programs if I can remember, Frank. <laughs> um, but when we see a list of fifty-one, we know, and they are they are all the, they are all described at the at the at the title of the of that section of the code describes they're all states of the United States. Right. Well, you know what? What's union? Funny. And it includes Washington, D.C. It means they are not 
states of the union. None of them. What? what they list Texas, uh, uh, Alabama, no, Oregon, no. What's very These interesting, Texas. You remember when Obama said he's visited 57 states? Yeah. Well, I just looked this up, and I, I think this is really interesting. This is the New World Encyclopedia. Really? Yep. List of U.S. states and territories by area. They give a lot of information, but I just scroll to the bottom, and we have... If you include all the states and the territories and the U.S. minor outlying islands, yeah, it's 57. Well, isn't that something? Does that mean that Heinz is the actual uh, founder of that country? As in Heinz 57? Uh... <laughs> well, I just think it might be Obama <clears throat> given a given a, a a little tell yeah. there. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So we've got two different places, and we've got two different places in the constant. We have two different planes, as is the best word, and the most accurate word. We sometimes say venue. Venue is a little more, we understand it on one level. We're used to using the word venue more so than planes, but plane is the better, is the better term. Um, United States is one plane. The United States of America is a second plane, right? The two have certain common commonalities, but they are not the same. The two planes are two different jurisdictions. And the plane of the United States of America, which is where most people think they are, right? that's the one that we see evidence of in Article 1 of the Constitution, which declares that the federal government shall have only limited powers ultimately in relationship to the states of the union. But Congress has, under Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2, they have unlimited powers in relationship to the territories. And Congress said, wouldn't it be cool if we could trick all the dummies out there in TV land Actually, they did this before they had TV, but they've been, you know, people are, eh, we could have more power, but Let's more power means more get tax. away with it. Yeah. Oh, it, and, it, and it probably didn't happen as flip the light switch one day. And we, had, we used to have states of the Union next day. We had states of the United States. It was the sort of thing that happened a little at a time. They made a proviso for the states of the United States, and then slowly they just kind of moved everybody into them, one little indicia after another. Got a driver's license? You're in a state of the United States. Got a plumber's license? Pilot's license? My guess is I don't think there are any licenses. There may be, but I don't. there won't be many, if there are any at all, within the United States of America. That's the land of the free. That's also the land where Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 says, no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. The states of the Union have to function, at least in relationship to the state government. You and I can trade. We can do. We can barter. We can trade. I can uh, give you 5,000 corn cobs for, you know, a buckskin or something like that. Whatever. We can work out a deal. But when we're dealing with the state government, we have to have gold or silver coin in the states of the Union. Don't have to have gold and silver coin in the territories. Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 says no state, says nothing about territories, says nothing about districts. 
Oh, Al, you're playing you, word games. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> you know? You bet I am, I and I'm working at it. I'm working at it as best I can. You know, we talk about it. I bring it up from time to time. Got sued by the Attorney General of Texas for $25,000 per day, $9 million per year. Ran them off with word games. All right? Well, the ability to read and see and the grace of God that I said, holy crap, these laws only apply to animals. You know, people who who say, well, you know what, you're just playing word games. These people have never read the law, any law. Mm -hmm. Because you want to see word games. Yeah. Go read some laws. Yeah. Go take a couple pages out of the uh, U.S. Code or your state statute and tell me about word games after you do that. Mm-hmm. You want to see some word games? I mean, one of the things that will drive you nuts, how many different definitions do you suppose there are in the entire, in the entire federal code of at least... 50 titles, I don't know how many they've got, but I think it's, it's at least 50. It might be a couple more than that. How many different definitions of the term United States do you suppose are in there? I don't know. Uh, I'll bet there's a half dozen. Yeah, I don't know, but I'd say, yeah, four or five at least. I, yeah, you know, yeah, I agree. It's not yeah. something that you can just say, oh, yeah, United States, whatever. I know what that means. You think I'm playing word games? How do they get off? They can't even agree. Congress can't even agree what the term United States means in a in a way that applies to all 50 of the titles of federal law. They can't even agree what's the United States mean. It means whatever they say it means. And they have different, expressly different definitions in a number of different places in the in the Constitution where they say the United States here means this, 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 and this, and includes the territories of the United U.S. Virgin Islands and uh, Guam. Well, and when you know right? what? The, the next one will come up, and it won't include you know U.S. Virgin Islands. The next definition is the United States includes the 50 states and District of Columbia and Guam, but it doesn't include <laughs> U.S. Virgin Islands. And they dance this thing around where United States, there's at least, I'll bet there's at least four and maybe as many as six different definitions. Well, and any Anytime any definition has anything more than just the 50 states yep. of the Union, yep. it's not the United States of America. That's exactly right. You know, that's just because that's all that is. The 50 yeah, states I understand. ain't nothing else. And, and that's where they have moved us. They have presumed that we have voluntarily entered this alternative set of states of the United States, and we have voluntarily abandoned the states of the Union. But I believe that if you can stand up and create credible evidence that you are make a credible claim that everything you've done took place within the <laughs> within the borders of the state of the Union that you happen to that you happen to inhabit, right? And I'm one of the people of the state of the Union styled the United States of America, or the state of Oregon. And there's some Pennsylvania, I think, is the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. is the proper name for the state of the Union. It doesn't say state, but it says the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I think that's the proper name for the state of the Union. Uh, but most of them, and I don't know this for a fact, but I believe that most of the states of the Union, their proper name is the state of Texas. Yeah, I think Virginia is state the Commonwealth of, also. Yeah, that may be, there's Virginia, a couple of them. Pennsylvania and... Uh, <clears throat> But, uh, you know, it's just funny that, that three days ago, 
uh, I actually was searching through, you know, the pictures of the original Oregon Constitution because I couldn't really find any definite. Okay, like the the, the um, Articles of Confederation makes it real easy. The style of this Confederacy is the United States of America. And it's in quotes. Right. So there it is. It's nice and easy. But there's nothing like that in Oregon. Yep. Uh, So I look back to the the original handwritten, you know, picture of Mm -hmm. the Constitution and see, well, what do they call it? And it's the state of Oregon. Yeah. And just today, somebody was trying to argue with me saying, no, it's Oregon, just Oregon. And I'm like, yeah, that's the state of the United States. The list I was talking about, and I think it's in Title 18, but I may be mistaken about that. It lists Texas and Arkansas and Oregon and uh, Virginia and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say the state of Virginia. It says Virginia. Right. Huh? you got to make it your business to say, no, I, everything I did is within the state of the Union styled with this particular name. And by Union, I mean the United States of America. <laughs> and as near as I can see, I don't think the feds have any jurisdiction there other than what's expressly declared in Article One of the Constitution. Sure, and a lot of people will say, well, you know, if you have this and you have that and you've done this and you've done that, well, you know, you're one of theirs. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I can accept that if you if you accept that. You go, it well. It creates the presumption. I'll say nothing. I'll, I know nothing. I'll say nothing. And whatever it is you want to do, go ahead and do it. Then, yeah, you are. But just because you have those things, because the thing is, you know, I I don't want to be somebody. Now, I've done it, and it's difficult. It it changes the way you live to get rid of, say, just something minor like your driver license. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like it's... (laughs) like taking a becoming a monk yeah you know so and you gotta take a it's it's a it's a it's not an easy thing and i realize most people aren't going to do that most people yeah. can't they're not in a situation where they can do something like that uh and i get that but you know what i i've come to the conclusion and i could be wrong but i think you you can have anything you want because unless they sat down at the DMV or they you can see some document that says now listen when you sign your name only your name to this you know driver license application or driver license well you're giving up all your rights as a as a citizen yeah. of the state of Oregon and therefore one of the uh, you know United States citizens of the United States of America and you are going to be transferred to this new fictional you know land where we you're our slave basically uh yeah. and they didn't tell me that but you'll I get a free lunch <laughs> Yeah, well, Kiss they rates goodbye, but we're going to give you a free bowl of potage. <laughs> well, see, they didn't tell me that. No, no. They said, no, you need this to drive your car. Oh, okay. Not exactly. Well, the documents that 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 associate you with this alternative set of states, the states of the United States. What kind of documents are they? Well, I I didn't realize this until you kind of I discussed it with you and you came up with it. I I think it is a pledge. Yeah, single signature. It's not a contract because where's the other signature on the document? Yep. All right. 
There's only one signature on my driver's license if I had a driver's license, and that's mine, which means my application, single signature, my driver's license, single signature, are my pledges. I have unilaterally, a lot of people call these unilateral contracts when there's one signature. <laughs> there's a, I think the correct term is pledge. Yeah, because that's an oxymoron, unilateral contract. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, not, it's, it's kind of a contradictory. Possible. Yeah, but nevertheless, it's like Federal Reserve. <laughs> when you're calling something a certain name, you can name it anything you want. I mean, we've got Chief Crazy Horse. Uh, it doesn't mean he was crazy or that he was a horse. That was his name, but it's not what he was. Apparently, Federal Reserve note doesn't actually mean it's a note either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and but, uh, I, must, I always well, thought that was fraud. Yeah. What does it really mean? Um, but all of this is word games, <laughs> as you brought up at the beginning. And if you can play this game, you can hold these people off. Right? It requires a lot of study. It requires a bunch of dictionaries. It requires a dedication to spend your time trying to learn how to read and write and speak. But if you can do it, you can run rings around these people because you can put them in positions where they have to admit in a public forum and on the record what they've done. Yep, and there's For one, example, there's one other thing about that list that you just kind of went through about the things that you need to do, and it's true, all those things are true. And once you get done with all that, you better hope you've got a real faith in God and you're oh, yeah. not a fearful person because they're going to do everything in their power to scare you. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's not an easy thing. It's absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's like the Christ says, somebody says he wants, to, or in the Bible, he, he says, I want to be a follower. And Christ said, count the cost, Bubba. You understand? Before you pick up your cross, you better count the cost, because there's going to be a cost. What's really coming down, if you want to get into the spiritual side of things, you don't become a Christian huh, to join the prosperity ministry, or you're going to get yourself a brand new car and a, and a McMansion with with three bedrooms and two baths. No, three baths and a swimming pool. That's not what you get for becoming Christian and picking up your cross to follow the Christ. You can expect a certain amount of tribulation instead. All right? This is not an easy game. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. How much money could you have made, Frank, in this life? How wealthy could you have been by now if you had devoted your time to running a, a conventional business, like being a plumber or an electrician, just just service work. How much could you have made as compared to the amount of time you've spent trying to understand these bizarre legal concepts? Wow, you mean if I'd have taken that time instead of doing that? If you'd have done what your mother and father wanted you to do, Frank. Oh, gosh. How much oh man, well, right okay. Now? Uh... Geez, uh, that's probably a, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, a lot of money. I think I'd be doing pretty well, money wise. Yeah, I know, I know. I could have been. I could have. You know, I could have been upper middle class all the way. Um, I probably maybe, even uh, on my fourth marriage got, and in Betty Ford or something by now too. But you know, hey, it's there's a price to be paid here, and if you're not prepared to pay the price, and if you can't pay the price. 
then, you know, you got to kind of – maybe you can study for the day when you can afford to play the game. Um, or when the, when the day you're forced to play the game. Cause well, that's another one, too. You, you yeah. don't get a choice. Here that's, you are. Well, what I'm going to is you got three kids. Right. You can't afford to be pulled out of the game, all right, and set in a, in a prison someplace and leave the kids to grow up on their own. That's true, but if they There's come one day and decide, you know what, you're not a, you're not a good enough parent. We're taking your kids. Oh, I know. I know. I've well, been through. It's time to start learning. And that's exactly what happened with me. I went through a divorce in 83, lost my kids in a custody battle, thought it was the biggest injustice in the history of the world. I was going to call it 60 Minutes and all the rest of this crap. Turned out what happened to me was unremarkable. They do it to fathers all the time, especially back then. Well, but it yeah. set me down this path. And I would bet that if the government had their druthers and they could go back in the time machine and say, you know what, why don't we just let this guy Addis keep his kids and he'd still be a roofer today. Yep. You understand? He would have never learned any of this stuff. He would have thought it's all crazy. He would have believed what the government tells him. We should just give him his kids back and just we'll move back in the time machine and this will never happen. Well, and that's the whole point is that one of these days, you know, everybody's like, well, you know, they're they're doing that. Well, one of these days they're going to do this or that to the wrong guy. Yep. And everybody in the Patriot movement, well, I wouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people in the Patriot movement have been that wrong guy. Yeah. You were that wrong guy. Like you said, I bet they would go back and say, you know, let's not do this. Yeah, leave him with the kids. He'll be too busy. He'll never get out from under. He'll have so much work trying to deal with the kids and said, He won't have time to crack open a dictionary. No, he won't even want to. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's the whole thing. You know, he's just, wow, we made a mistake there. You know, and and they're going to do that, and they're going to make bigger mistakes, much bigger mistakes here in the, in the future, I think, anyway. I think they're in the process of making them there. I mean, you know, I've had a letter from one of the listeners to the program and a friend of mine. Um... He's talked about the radio program. We've moved off and talked about economics on a regular basis and also my blog. The blog used to focus on legal issues. And in the last couple of years, it's focused more on economic issues. Well, there's reasons for that. And he's saying, look, he'd rather see me do the legal issues. Well, I haven't been charged by the government with anything for since, since 2006. It's been basically 10 years since anybody... Are, are you asking for help? No. Uh, <laughs> can you charge me with something so I can get? Well, I'm, you know, I'm I'm kind of trolling for the occasional cop just to see if I can, if I can put them in a position where I can counterclaim against them. That's I but I I haven't been I haven't been dragged into court, in or near a court uh, since 2006. I actually I was there in 2007, but started in 2006. Nothing. No driver's license issues. Nothing in the last nine, ten years. So. They teach me when they pull me into one of these situations that we're going to sue you for this, that we're going to charge you with this. All right, fine. Get the books out. Let me start reading the books and start re- get the dictionary and get the books and see what we can cobble up. And I can maybe cobble I can come up with some good ideas. But I haven't had anything. I've refined ideas I already had. But I haven't had anything new to kind of stimulate your 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 attention and say, okay, focus on this right now. So I don't have anything to add. But the other thing is this. I've been working on economics because I think it's interesting to me, for one thing, I'm learning things, but I also think that 
as a group, as a people, we have more to fear from our economic system and economic reality than we do from the courts at this time. Yeah, I was going to mention that, you know, we're on pretty thin ice all around the world with the economic system. And, And I believe the reality of it is when the economic system collapses... There aren't going to be any courts or legal issues, mm-hmm. you know, so it's it's kind of important that people get an eye on this, what's going on with the economy, at least, you know, as much as you would look out the window and see the dark clouds, uh, you know, on the horizon over there, you know, at least look at it and go, hmm, gee. There's, an, there's another reason also, not just to see what's coming, but also to be in a position where you are not simply bamboozled. Right. When this system collapses, they're going to come up with another one. And you can bet that if they have their druthers, it will be at least as corrupt and dangerous to your rights as the one we have right now. Oh, yeah, unless they're all dead. If you understand something about about economics, and not just economics, but political freedom and the Declaration of Independence and those God-given rights and so on, you can be in a position to stand up when the time comes. Somebody's going to be in front of the crowd, and he's going to say, we're going to give a chicken in every pot, and all you have to do is sign here and sign away your rights. Well, they won't say sign away your rights, but they will imply it. And if you have brains enough to see it, you're going to be the guy who can stand up and say, no, that's a bunch of crapola, and what I want to do is I want to go back to the Declaration of Independence. I want to go back to the United States of America. I want to go back to gold and silver. I want to regain those God-given unalienable rights and restore the states of the Union and so on. Basically, you're talking about what the southern states said. That's what they did. That's what they wanted Maybe so. to do. I mean, Maybe so. they joined the Union under the Confederacy. They joined the Union under the Articles of Confederation. That's and, right. And they realized, you know what? This new union ain't working out for us. We're going, we want to go back to the Confederacy. And that's well, what they that, did. That Their government, be. if you look at the government of the southern states, it was set up much like the government of the United States of America before yeah. the Constitution. Yeah. Right? So, the more well, things change, the more things stay the same. Oh, I understand. You know, and and that's another thing. When you talk about that, when we talk about things staying the same, how far back can you chase? Can you can you chase this system that we're fighting with? Wow, way back. How far? <laughs> well, I <don't, laughs> I guess the Tower of Babel. I'd guess Genesis. We're talking the same time frame. Mm-hmm. This has been going on. This is all evidence of spiritual war. You know that Declaration of Independence. We talk about. Let's talk about the idea of American exceptionalism. But you can talk to, uh, if you research it, you can find a dozen different articles that describe American exceptionalism in different terms. There's no consensus as to what it means. Uh, and a lot of people, Obama has his opinion and other people have their opinion, and they talk about, oh, American exceptionalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does it mean? What was exceptional about this country is it was the first one in Western history 
to come out and say we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and, pursuit of, and the pursuit of happiness. And the third sentence says in part that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. They are telling us that we, prior to this, prior to our Declaration of Independence, there was only one sovereign in every country. One king of England, one king of France, one king of Spain, one sovereign per country. Right? And he was the one who got his rights directly from God in a coronation ceremony that took place in a church. He wasn't elected, he wasn't appointed in the way we think about it in this country. He got his rights directly from God. All else were subjects because they didn't get their rights directly from God. All right? When this country started up, the founding fathers, they came up and said, I know, we'll say everybody gets their rights from God. And when we do, it will elevate everyone to the status of individual sovereigns rather than subjects. And that was the exceptionalism that the, that was the basis of American exceptionalism. Well, Nobody else had done it. We have lost memory of it. We've lost our understanding of it. But it's spiritual warfare. You get your rights from God, you're sovereign. Well, in the real spiritual warfare, I mean, there's lots of it, but uh, some of it that's really raged hard that we haven't fared too well is in the American churches. Because every Christian ought to know this because of the simple fact that in the Bible it says God is as a respecter of no man. Yeah. That means kings and queens and whoever, and, and that means, look, I like your or hate you all the same. You know, it's it well, doesn't it's matter. right and wrong. I don't care if you're I don't care if you're Barack Obama. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Right. I'm not going to sit back and say, oh, he's the president, so he gets to get away with murder. Or how about somebody who's a cop? Yeah. He's a cop, so he gets to get away with murder. Uh-uh. You're killing people. You're wrong. Yep. You understand? It's, it goes for Obama. It goes for the cops. It goes for you and me. There are things you can't do, and it doesn't matter about whether you're a king or a peon. And that's you don't what, get and that, to do it. That's what this country was founded on. Now, have we always practiced that? Have we always mm -hmm. been successful? No. Of course no. not. But we... It's still been the basis, and the thing that's really changed, I don't think, I really don't, I don't know if things have gotten more corrupt, or they seem more corrupt, but I don't know if that's just because everybody's more aware, we have more information or what, but, you know, men have been evil from the beginning, you know, so, uh, I don't know, this, but the thing is, there was a shame involved in it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There was and a shame, you know. I mean, yeah, there's always been homosexuals. Yeah. But they That's never right. flaunted it because there was a shame attached mm -hmm. to it. Yeah, you can go home and you can do whatever you want. Everybody might have known about it. Nobody cared. It's like, yeah, whatever, as long as I don't have to see it and I don't have to know about it. Fine, because there's a shame involved in it. Now, that's gone. The shame is yeah, gone. Uh, from everything. And I'm just using that as one example. But uh, yeah. from everything, it's just gone. Everything's cool. I mean, I, I'm, I, you know, I hate to say I'm shocked because I'm generally not, but I, I, when I think about it, when I go downtown and I just see the sheer number of people with visible tattoos, yep. 
And, and the reason I'm shocked is not because they have tattoos. It's because so many people so quickly got tattoos. I mean, 20 yeah. years ago, hardly anybody had tattoos. Mm-hmm. Now, hardly anybody doesn't have tattoos. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, 80-year-old women, you know, in, in what, you know, uh, scantily dressed, <laughs> really, really old women. You're, make, you're making me a little bit ill right now. Oh, Walmart can be that way. I understand that. I'm afraid that may be my destiny before we're all done here. I'm going to wind up being one of the Walmart people. <laughs> being one of the Walmart people can't be any worse than Walmart. Not just a greeter, you understand. I'm one of the people who get the, I'm the greedy rather than the greeter down right. there at Walmart. Just keep uh, coming in and out so somebody will say hello to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or take my picture at least. Yeah, you know? well, that too. I mean, because we got to have the facial recognition and all. No, that. but you're right. Those tattoos are. And it happened so fast. Yeah. I mean, was there a memo I missed to where somebody said, "Okay, everybody, look, time to get a tattoo. Time to get a lot of tattoos." Yeah, it actually would be kind of interesting to do a study. So I'm sure somebody's done it. Uh, but when did tattoos really become popular and why? There's probably an event or two, you know, a president or two, something that, that changed the culture around where tattoos, which are more or less prohibited by the Bible. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to be cutting on yourself and the rest of this sort of thing. Right. How did that become popular? I mean, what made people do that? And was it because somebody stood up and they said, yay, let's all get tattoos because it's cool? Or was it because nobody stood up and said, don't get tattoos? They're ungodly. Well, I think that is probably it because, you know, the churches, again, when you live in a nation where 80% of the people claim or claimed, uh, from what I read, that's going down now, but, you know, claimed to be Christian, why didn't anybody stand up and say, now, wait a minute, you can't do that? Well, who could have? The pastors could have. That's right. And why didn't they? Well, because if you tell somebody they can't do something, next thing they do is they're they're walking down the street looking for a church that says they can. Yeah. I think there's another reason on there, though. you got that 501c3 going on where... The pastors can only devote a maximum of 5% of their resources. The churches can devote a maximum of 5% of their resources to political activity, if I understand correctly. And it just means that the churches have been, if 95% of your work is non-political, it's not long before you're not doing anything political. All right. You can you, again. You give your sermons to tell people how to be good to your boss, how to be good to your employees, how to be good to your spouse, how to be good to your dog, how to be good to your kids. They give you all of that. But what about the SOBs in Washington D.C. or your state capital? What about them? The churches are generally silent. Mm-hmm. All right. And we have become the people have become sort of apolitical, and. The churches, if they're 501c3, to my mind, they're not a church of God. They're a church of the state. These are state churches from my perspective. They are trying to serve two masters, and I think that's a bunch of crapola. 
I mean, the Bible says you can't do it. I don't think they can either. I'm just guessing. I'm not saying that the state came along and said, look, you pastors, uh, make sure you get some tattoos, get encourage your kids. They never did that. I understand, but they didn't stand up against it. You know, and kids, are they'll experiment with anything, and certainly including drugs and alcohol and tobacco. Uh, yeah, well, you know, this is the thing, though. And tattoos. Well, see, I can wear funky clothes. I can grow my hair any way I want. I can put on makeup if I like. I can paint my nails. I can I can do all these crazy things and then decide, boy, that's stupid. Let me get some nice clothes. Let me wash this makeup off. Let me get uh, this off of me. And now I look normal again, right? Yeah. A tattoo is for life. Well, you mean normal? For you, Frank. Okay. <laughs> you don't mean normal, about me. normal in the greater scheme of things. Yeah, you mean. there you go. But the thing is, the tattoo is going to be there forever. till you're, you know, till after yeah, they have sandblasters and that sort of thing. <laughs> no, I, no, I agree. I understand. You know, this, and it, it's an unfortunate. Works. Kids are getting these things, right. and they, they don't know what the hell they're doing. Because I've been told that. That when I've commented on, you know, how wrong I think tattoos are and how stupid I think it is for young people to do it, you know, they've asked me, well, well, you got long hair now. Do you have long hair when I said, yeah, I had long hair when I was, uh, you know, a kid. But I can cut my hair. Yeah. That tattoo ain't going anywhere unless you go through some serious medical procedure. Well, not necessarily. You can get some of these body suits uh, like uh, Angelina Jolie. She's got enough tattoos on her to be a billboard. All right. Um, but you can cover them up. Then you can use makeup and whatever. And yeah, but they're still there. No, yeah, I know they're still there. They're not going away. And neither, no. you know, in those body piercings, I, you know, I'd rather see somebody all pierced up with a bo- with, with metal than a tattoo because, okay, yeah, you can pull that out and you probably still have a hole there, but over time it kind of fills in and, you know, it's not that big of a hole anymore. But tattoos, man, and I, I, I've talked to older people yep. who regret getting a tattoo. Sure. They didn't when they were younger. <laughs> it's like getting married. You think it's going to be forever, and then you find out, oh, my God, it is going to be forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. But, yeah, you know, and these kids, I I don't think they, well, I know they don't because I didn't. I didn't none of my friends did. None of us had any conception about, well, well you know, gee, here we are, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, and, uh, Fifty. <laughs> I don't even know how those people are still alive. And Eve, yeah, and on top of which, <laughs> it's going to take you so many years. So you can, you won't even remember what it's like to be a kid by the time you get to fifty. Get to fifty. In fact, you're going to pretty much remember it as if you just got out of high school a couple of years ago. Yep. And kids are in for a surprise. Guess what? It moves faster as you get older. Yeah, and and you don't lose your memory. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so, blah, blah, blah. Let me get into a different subject here. Um, here's one from the Daily Bell Before publication. You, Go ahead. I think we've got a caller. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts. 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.